0: Welcome back to the 99th draft of the Untitled Movie Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Matt Rohrbeck, Alongside, he's allergic to tomatoes, but he is Tomato Meter approved. Eric Marchin, 99.
1: Matt, we've made it to 99, 99, and
0: our very special guest, Mr. Wayne Gretzky. Welcome to the show, star of uh, Mighty Ducks 2. Um, no, Wayne Gretzky's not here. Eric, uh, I just got back from vacation. I haven't really spoken we talked a little bit through text uh i was mostly off the grid tweeting here and there and on my phone using my data uh sometimes with the service was spotty um you were on a beach are are you? vacation
1: specifically it was, and you, it was you, the you beach
0: from old you look yeah. young surprisingly <laughs> yeah. i somehow i you're the paul Rudd of
1: uh of people yeah. being on the beach <laughs> <laughs> yeah on the old beach uh how you doing man uh i'm good i'm good. I, uh, actually, uh, Saw my dad today uh, for the first time in over a year and a half. Oh, my God. Wow. Um, Wow! So much so that I didn't even see him for the holidays. And uh, today when I met him at the Royal Oak, he was wearing his uh miami dolphins uh shirt the bright orange shirt uh he's a big fan uh and he gave me a
0: bunch. my dad is also is that a dad thing my dad is also a miami dolphins fan
1: probably Uh, he also likes dan marino but he yeah my dad loves he used to be a baseball guy when he was in like his 20s to 30s and now he's you know in his early 60s and is uh more of a football guy um right which is interesting overall my dad not a football guy at all but so was before since i hadn't seen him in uh you know a a year and a half you know i miss christmas on because my mom and dad are divorced so two Christmases thing so last year christmas was just basically canceled because it was like well why bother going out anywhere and that kind of thing so when i when i met him afterwards I, i went back to the uh his car and he's like here you go and it's like i have all these wrapped christmas gifts so i figured why not take the opportunity to unbox or unwrap wow. these gifts <laughs> unboxing from your dad yeah and Eric. in in real time and see what i what i got in terms of these stocking stuffers
0: it's uh it's christmas in august okay yeah. let's do it so we got uh, uh,
1: uh some nice wrapping paper with a it's penguin a, and
0: uh oh, i thought it was a snowman but no, it's, it's a penguin, a penguin yeah yep. with some uh, candy canes right or is that the north pole it's candy cane yeah Okay, what is it? Eric's unwrapping. I will do some commentary, or you can talk, Eric.
1: All right, it is a uh, a new... This is... A new Such r- a- razor oh, and uh, oh, shaving Wow. Kit. There you go. Yeah. You do couple you do max. Your,
0: your, your hair does grow in very quickly on your face. So it that sure does. Up. Is that for your head or your beard?
1: Uh, this is a multi functioning Con Air four men. Oh, we're um, getting the French Air. Uh, trimmer. Re- multi-purpose, hey, there's multi-purpose a mo- Multi purpose rechargeable there trimmer.
0: There, there's the movie tie in Con Air. It smells <laughs> like cologne. Hey, maybe there's some cologne in one of these packages. All right. I so would not be surprised. Number two, number it looks two. like I'm gonna guess it's a uh a book, a book of some kind. It is a it is uh Stephen King's uh pet cemetery.
1: I don't know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh <my> god. <laughs> uh it's meditations. Okay. Oh the, I got it. It's a book. The philosophy uh classic. The oh, okay. international bestseller. <laughs> uh, a meditation book. Yeah.
0: So you're going to be very Zen moving forward. I'm going to be as, uh, as Zen as David Lynch. Starting with the hundredth episode, Eric will be Zen. Man, okay. Smell like what does that smell? It's okay, all smell okay, like my dad. dad. <laughs> <laughs> that probably tracks. All right. <clears throat> I love this. Isn't it? It's a little halfway through the year. We're more than halfway through the year, but we're closer to Christmas. So Christmas than we comes New early
1: years. or late, depending on yeah. how you look at it. Cause this is the last right. year's stuff. It'd be amazing yeah. if some of this was like expired it's uh, like milk <laughs> <laughs> shit i wrapped it in december so i got uh some dove men plus care oh. extra fresh invigorating six, formula
0: six.
1: body and face soap
0: <laughs> oh some soap oh, love yeah. it oh i love it stay clean maybe that's what smelled like cologne maybe um my dad, dad really like wraps these things to the ninth degree my mom is like that too where she will wrap like one pair of socks and that looks like it's some deodorant oh, it or sure is, is it's
1: it's <laughs> axe fresh 48 hours i don't even use axe <laughs> oh that's great some axe and not it, body spray but it, yeah. axe
0: deodorant it's uh okay.
1: it's dark temptation that's I- <laughs>
0: That's absolutely what smells like a boy's locker room. In, uh, I don't even use eggs, by the way. Like yeah, Whatever. I, yeah. Who
1: cares? Like, it, it, whatever. No, no, I not use, not like, that I'm spice. saying that. It's just that, like, you know, in general. That's so
0: funny. I love parents' Christmas gifts. It's the best. So
1: I got a little tin um, here that says oh, uh, celebration. It's cocaine. <laughs> it's cocaine.
0: Um, oh, some money. Oh, there you go. I mean, that's always sweet. I got a,
1: go. $200 here. There you go. That, smells that'll like, buy um, you smells like syrup, maple that'll syrup. That'll buy
0: you two Criterion 4Ks that we'll talk about later on the show. Right, so that's, um, cool.
1: That's, that's cool. That's cute. That's pretty dope. Let's see. That's uh, pretty dope. This is exciting you for anybody tuning into
0: this. And like, what the hell is? And especially being an audio podcast where no one can see anything that you're doing. They just hear (laughs) ripping and shampoo or body wash? Oh, it is
1: uh, Dial Uh, for Men. Three in one, hair, body and face.
0: Does your dad, is your dad trying to tell you something? No, he always does this. Like (laughs) literally,
1: he gets Connor, Kyle and I the same exact thing and half of these products we don't even use. Like I always use head and shoulders and I have like a special like um, face and soap cream that I use because I have yeah. really sensitive skin it's not because i'm a fancy boy it's more just because i am gonna I, call you a fancy boy it's more yeah. because i have like like i break out very mm. easily
0: um let's let's see incredible oops i didn't want to open
1: safari far. Yeah, let's see here like this is almost impossible to open but it's probably hair gel and i don't even use hair gel it <laughs> i've never seen you
0: put a hair product no in i don't yep, I like. it
1: is it is uh got to be Oh, Phenom- got to be yeah. yeah, phenomenal light hold styling gel. Well, you know, you can try it out. There you go. I mean, um, I've gotten this before, so that mm-hmm, mm-hmm, is so I predictable. Love the thing that he always gets us as well, and I guarantee it's one of the last things I'm going to open, but he always gets us Werther's originals. And I keep telling him and Kyle does too. And Connor, we're not 60 year old men. We don't like right. Werther's originals. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, I like the Werther's. Have you ever had the
0: Werther's um chocolate that have like the toffee in the middle where like those are pretty good.
1: No, I, that I you mean just I don't even on. have anything necessarily against Werther's. Against I just Werther's. don't it's eat just, them. Like, yeah. I just don't like even as a kid I just thought that like oh it's okay if you visit your grandparents and they have some or what have you. I, I get it. I get it. Yeah. So I got some uh Dove shampoo, fortifying shampoo, uh Aqua Impact Love it. with I was ca- say, with caffeine and ocean minerals get jacked
0: actually Dub for men's pretty good i use up for yeah it's not bad it's a lot better than dial whatever the fuck that is sorry if anyone has never listened to this podcast before they're gonna be like what the hell is this all right uh so merry christmas everyone merry christmas
1: or happy Um, hanukkah or kwanzaa or whatever you
0: celebrate whatever you celebrate whatever was delayed in the last year and a half for you if your dad met up with you eight months into the year. At, a, at the Royal
1: Oak uh, <laughs> outside on the patio. And what you eat for lunch? Uh, I had a buffalo <clears throat> chicken uh, wrap, Ooh. which was spicy. Ooh. It was good. Uh, Colgate optical white. Oh, nice. Get the white <laughs> white teeth. Yeah.
0: And, oh, it.
1: I know what this is. I know what this
0: is. A pack of underwear? Some socks? Nope. Or what? Uh <laughs> Is, okay, for if you're you're listening to this, it is the biggest bag of Werther's. You should take a screenshot originals. of this. I have to. One second. Oh my god, this is incredible, guys! It's the biggest fucking bag of Werther's Originals I've ever seen in my life. Okay, screenshotting. Three, two, one. There you go. I'll tweet that out <laughs> later. Maybe I'll make that. Matt went on vacation, but Eric opened up uh, his Christmas
1: presents. So that is um, <laughs>
0: so that, That's the best. That is it. That is that it. is literally the biggest bag of Werther's originals. and we always ever get that. It's
1: always the same does exact. Does that last bag. you? No, does what, that last what, you the whole year? No. What, what would happen in the past is we, Kyle, Connor, and I would always give them to our mom, and our mom would right. take it to work. And give it to the people that she works with. But now she's retired. So I don't know what to do with these things.
0: (laughs) That's fair. Yeah, that's fair. Go to some sort of office and just dump them in the bowl that they have. The collective bowl. So that was Christmas in uh, August. That was Christmas in August. So happy holidays to everyone. uh, Whatever you're celebrating. Um, We'll check in with Eric's dad next August to see what (laughs) Christmas gifts he got him. Uh, that was fantastic, Eric. Thank you for sharing that with everyone. Uh, no Um, problem. Um, I just got back from a week long trip to tiny township here in Ontario. Uh, (laughs) as Eric's smelling all of his gifts. Um, yeah, man, it was, um, so I'll talk about what I watched and stuff at the cottage. I only watched a couple movies, but, um, it was just a nice kind of relaxing, uh, you know, it's probably the longest I've been away from home, whether it, you know, our old condo or our new house, like, um, in during COVID and it was just, uh, you know, Nevis and I for the first half and then Nevis, myself, my sister, Sarah, uh, my kind of, sister danielle she's not really my sister but she's my sister's best friend since they were kids and she's basically family so my sister danielle um and my mom and dad all came for the second half and we stayed at a friend's cottage um up in uh near midland ontario um by a a a two-minute walk to the beach a nice little tiny cottage with no internet no cable um barely had reception, but were able to kind of, you know, Nevis was able to work from my phone and the data and tethering and stuff like that. Oh, so she was still working.
1: She was still.
0: Yeah. So originally we were just going to go up for the weekend. Um, But uh, a good friend of mine, Derek, uh, Derek's amazing. And he was like, Hey, uh, no, one's going to be up there like this week if you want to go up earlier. And then Nevis was like, it would be nice to get away for more than just, we always just go away for four days or three days, right? Like over a long weekend. Oh, excuse me. God, I'm getting choked up. Because of those Um, Christmas gifts. Yeah, we decided it was so touching. (laughs) Um, (laughs) So uh, we decided to go up on Monday. And uh, Neva's worked from Monday to Thursday up at the cottage. And the reception was spotty, but he had like a uh, uh, cellular booster. So I had to put my phone near the booster. And then she kind of tethered off my my phone, and luckily I have like 25 gigs of uh, data per month, but um, super relaxing, super chill. Like it's a, just a small, really beautiful cottage. Uh, there's a creek in the back and a nice deck and area, and then it's literally like a two minute walk to the beach. So basically, uh, every day, Nevis loves the beach. I'm not a huge beach person, but she is uh, converting me into. Uh an M. Night you know, Shyamalan fan again. Yeah, exactly. Um, so we went and hung out like every day at the beach for a few hours and then uh, it was just very chill with me and her. Um, watched a couple movies, watched Poseidon, uh, from 2006 That great Kurt Russell um, classic. I love Kurt Russell, which is one reason why we had this disaster uh triple pack with Twister Poseidon and the perfect storm. And Nevis is a big Um,
1: disaster movie fan, right?
0: Yeah. And then, um, we were going through and weeding through these movies that I brought and we were like, I kind of just want something stupid and like, you know, a fun cottage movie that I don't really have to like, I don't want a drama right now or something that I really like emotionally will affect me, even though thousands of people die. Um, But
1: um, RIP Johnny
0: drama. And she's like, Oh, you've never seen Poseidon. And I'm like, nah, I'm like, I like Kurt Russell though. So like, I'm definitely down to watch this. So uh, threw that on one night and I'll talk about that in a sec. Uh, Then also watch funny people for the first time in, a long ass time because nevis had never seen that um and we were just talking about adam sandler and uh seth rogan and and you know back when i think judd apatow making very good movies that are way too long
1: and that uh, was kind of like his kind of big gamble awards wise i remember when yeah. that came out in the summer of 2009 you know he had already done obviously the 40-year-old version and, and knocked up and had a lot of goodwill behind him. And this was him doing like that kind of hybrid comedy drama, James L. Brooks style of film with Sandler, who he's been friends with since they were kids. I mean, mm. in the opening scene, there's a shot of him in a college. Both dorm, them, right? yeah, yeah. Hanging out. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously now I, it's been a while since I've watched it, but the thing that I, I remember liking the most about it were the fake movies that Adam oh, Sandler's character started because they kind of look and feel what you'd expect like like an adam Adam sandler Sandler movie would be especially a netflix adam sandler movie is now
0: oh george simmons is adam sandler right and that like i I really do love funny people like um i i i I liked it when i saw it back in i think we went through a late 2000s phase because it was also late it was 2007 wasn't it i think Uh, or 2008 no i think it was
1: 2009 the film when it came out because it was the summer that in glorious bastards it right because
0: sandler turned down bastards to do funny people yes. right um yeah god i would have loved to see him in inglorious bastards that would have been amazing yeah it's the bear uh, yeah you're right it was 2009 um loved it in 2009 um re-watching it uh still really really dig it um but it, I think the same problem Apatow has with a lot of his stuff. It's like a half an hour to 40 minutes too long where he doesn't know where to cut act, right? Like that's yeah, the and thing. his whole third act is just like the whole, all the stuff with Leslie Mann and Eric Banna in the third act could be taken out. Like it just, it completely goes off course where um you really have this kind of, you know, nice, story about George kind of, you know, finding himself and finding, you know, uh, the people in his life again. And I I get that his ex-girlfriend or ex-fiance is is a huge part of that. But, um, you know, and his relationship with Ira and Seth Rogen's character. And it's really, I think, focused on those two. And getting back to his
1: stand-up roots. That was the other kind of big thing, Yeah, his stand-up
0: roots and just connecting with people again and, and cherishing life a bit and stop being so lonely and thinking everyone only pays attention to you cause you're, you know, rich and famous. And like, I really do think that there's a sweet story that is very meta about Sandler and, 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 you know, and Apatow's careers and, and, and things like that. And, um, the great cast, like Jonah Hill's fucking hilarious. Jason Schwartzman's funny. Aubrey like, Cedrokin's right? great. Aubrey Plaza's fantastic. Like Aziz Ansari showing up is really funny. Bo Burnham. Um, like I know he's only in like two scenes in the movie, but he's in a bunch of deleted Yo Teach stuff. But like, um, <laughs> I forgot about all the that. funny. Yeah. Yo teach is really funny. And like that whole subplot about Jason Swartzman being on yo teach and that he's got this NBC sitcom and that he's like mildly successful. And so he's a bigger deal amongst together. all the yeah. other comedians. Yeah. And like Aziz Ansari being Aziz Ansari, but he's like doing a really shitty, like lowbrow humor, but he's the one who kind of takes off too. And like, it, it, and it's just like a really kind of sweet story about, yeah, an up and coming comedian connecting with this guy who's kind of been through everything and then dealing with his kids cancer and thinking that you know he doesn't have uh you know a a huge chance of surviving and and i just think that there's a really for the first hour 45 to two hours i think that movie is fucking fantastic and then uh about yeah two thirds of the way through or three quarters of the way through he um you know he talks to andy dick and 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 norm uh mcdonald and like revealing that you know he uh, has cancer and he starts connecting with all his friends again and um and thinking, you know, that people are going to treat him differently because he says this, but really people just want to spend time with him because they, you know, you appreciate life a, a bit more. And then he does this whole thing with revealing it to Leslie Mann and they reconnect. And then there's this whole subplot about how obsessed he is with their former relationship and that she confesses to him that she's always still loved him. And, and then there's this whole fucking thing where it takes place at her house. And I'm sure you remember this, Eric, but that whole thing just goes, I feel like completely off the rails and is like. I'm like, this movie was never about. Like, I get that he calls her at the beginning, and he, like, she's the first person that he wants to talk to after he gets this diagnosis and shit. But like that whole third act just feels like it completely like boggles the movie down. And then it tries to get back to the Iris stuff with Seth Rogen at the very kind of end and then ties everything together really quickly. And, but I also just,
1: remember weirdly that Adam Sandler at, at that point also, like after sort of the cancer scare and and him reconnecting with Leslie Mann and, and even like the stuff with Eric Banna, I almost Again, it's been a while since I've watched it, but I remember there was kind of like kind of a cruelty or at least kind of like Sandler's character wasn't always a nice guy either. Like there was still Mm -hmm. something about him that he could be kind of a bit of a jerk as well. Yeah,
0: and he does learn from that whole experience and that's still, you know, an important part of the movie and he's like he he's still very selfish and there's that whole thing where her daughter's singing cats and he just doesn't or uh memories from cats or whatever <laughs> and like and uh and he's just not really paying attention and then thinks it's funny and then she like she has this revelation that you know maybe he's still in this for himself like he likes or he the hasn't idea. grown up he hasn't grown and he hasn't he really just wants her, he doesn't actually care about or the her. Idea he of her. He hates that he, yeah, like the, the pe- idea like, of losing her, like, has destroyed him, and that he, and or he, he wants, wants his
1: past that. glory again, yeah. right? Like exactly. the idea of being feeling young and 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 being young and sort of looking and that's at those fine, things but again. I don't
0: think you needed to spend forty minutes at their house. Right. Like, it just, it, it's so overlong, and that's my uh, my biggest thing, and it just kind of slows really down in that last forty minutes. And I, I, I'm not saying that you don't, you cut out the Leslie Mann subplot. It completely, but I feel like there was a way that you could have interwove that a bit better and gotten to a tight two hours, even like you're doing a dramedy. I'm not saying it has to be 90 minutes. Like I- I'm fine with it being two, but it's two and a half hours, and you're just like, it did not need to be that long. And that's been his biggest thing is just he does not know how to edit down his
1: movies. Like he wants to put everything in there. His films and, have no shape. Um, like there's no yeah. Like the pacing and structure of his films. Like, I actually don't mind it as much with both the 40 year old version or Knocked Up, but they still are over long for what yeah. they are, but they kind of mm-hmm. still. But they're still at that like two hour mark. Yeah, though, but you can right? still kind yeah. of weirdly give those movies a pass because they're more sort of traditional comedies with a little bit of sweetness and sincerity sort of, you know, integrated throughout the script. But then when you get to something like Funny People, I remember my biggest problem is is a lot of the things you're you're echoing with, you know, the subplot of of Leslie Mann and and Eric Bana's relationship and sort of saying they're kind of being the wedge in between that, but also sort of trying to balance that out with Ira's journey as well and then yeah it just kind of feels over long and then it really became sort of you know a uh, 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 a very kind of typical thing for apatow with you know this is 40 where it really felt like it was bloated and didn't really have any sort of direction uh or or s- sort of idea of of what the the through line of the story was yeah
0: no i totally agree and, and as then much as i, I like st-
1: eric banna too like it's it's strange because like I get the casting of Eric Bana because a lot of people for like a lot of people still don't realize that Eric Bana started out as a stand up comedian as well you know in Australia yeah. and and popping and he's up he's in, funny in the movie it's just I, I don't know yeah popping up in movies like The Castle and things like that but it just yeah it just feels like his character in terms of like him kind of being uh you know an antagonist to Sandler yeah. it just doesn't really work.
0: Yeah, I totally agree, and I think that, and it's unfortunate that that's a big chunk of the last act of the movie because then it kind of leaves you with a little bit of a sour taste in your mouth. Even though the first, I think, uh, three quarters of the movie are quite excellent, um, I really do think that they're gen- genuinely funny and some great improv and and some great character moments, and um, and Sandler is legitimately good in the movie. Um, And I think it's perfect because he's playing himself. But yeah, and like you said, all the little kind of meta references to the stupid movies he's done, like uh, do what is the movie called do over where he's the baby or something (laughs)
1: like he's got, which he does have a movie called the do over with David Spade, which is a Netflix film or like the movie um, with um, Elizabeth Banks when, when he's like the, the merman.
0: Yeah. <laughs> we laughed so hard. There's a great, which you can tell it's improv, but it, he's having sex with one of the like kind of uh, uh, women who come over that are sort of groupies or whatever, just having sex with him because he's famous. And where um, she's just like, do the merman noise, do the merman noise. <laughs> it's just like, boo, boo, boo. As he's having sex with her and it's so fucking funny like there are some genuinely great moments like that where you could tell like Apatow just like fed him that line or fed them that line or whatever and you just do it in the moment and like they have to make the cut right before he starts bursting out laughing because you, like you could just tell that it's like so ridiculous. Well there's and, like, a
1: similar joke it, in uh, Forgetting Sarah Marshall as well even though he didn't direct Apatow didn't direct that but he produced did produce it. it though, yeah, uh, The Nicholas Stoller movie where uh jason siegel's character is going through a series of relationships after breaking up and you know he's having sex with one girl and and she's like oh i'm coming i'm coming i yeah. came <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and then it just yeah. it's a hard cut
0: yeah it's great and there's some um, and then uh it balances really silly kind of absurd humor with the sincerity that you were talking about really really well and um yeah i just had a a, a I just reminded me how much I I actually do like that movie. I just think that it kind of almost falls apart in that last act, but uh, ultimately I think it's, it's really, really solid. And then Poseidon. Well, guess what though, Matt
1: Judd Apatow's next movie bubble, which is a comedy murder mystery. And, uh, is on netflix will probably be three hours long because Net- netflix has no, no parameters when it comes to yeah. uh, you know the filmmaker unless you're blonde and then yeah then you're screwed
0: the, yeah <laughs> we're referencing andrew dominic's uh, marilyn monroe we're not uh, referencing uh, a blonde filmmaker yeah yeah um and then poseidon uh a bad movie that i had fun watching with nevis so like i'm not trying to argue that poseidon is
1: good or even um, as good as but- the original with gene hackman
0: yeah, I just um, – I wanted a mindless, stupid disaster movie and that's kind of what I got. And Kurt Russell is so – I like Kurt Russell enough that he could literally carry uh, a movie about paint drying to me. He's got like, great I just, lungs in, in Poseidon. Oh, God, everyone does. Yeah, everyone does. And it's just – it's so ridiculous and, and uh, convenient and um, – and just absurd, but um I had fun watching it with Nevis. It was like that perfect kind of cottage movie where I was like, Yeah, this isn't a great movie, and I'm kind of laughing at it, but um I'm having a good time watching it. And um I really do like Kurt Russell, and it's funny that we um made a joke about what's his name being a lead leading man when we watched Forever Purge and Oh, Josh uh, Lucas
1: yeah <laughs> i'm like wait he is the lead in this movie um well that was when so. he was still kind of bankable coming off the success he was kind of a breakout in in that reese witherspoon rom-com uh sweet home alabama and right. had parts in movies like american psycho and obviously the angley uh version of the hulk so you know that was around mm-hmm. 2006 when he was still kind of you know yeah profitable as a leading man they were trying unquote. to make him a make him a thing yeah and yeah. he's just kind of a white bland uh which is oh, a totally. reference on another but... podcast that i listen to when they when they reference him uh okay. like, especially in ford versus <laughs> ferrari where i still yeah. can't get over that character poster that they had for
0: him. yeah it's ridiculous uh, but Kurt Russell's great, and then I like seeing you know, uh, um, you know, Andre Brower pop up. It's just funny seeing Richard Dreyfus, but playing Richard a problematic Dreyfuss, yeah. gay guy.
1: Um, um, yeah, you had and, Johnny Drama, Kevin Dillon. Yeah, who, like that. I think was one of my biggest problems because I also really like um Wolfgang Peterson, who directed Does Boot and um the Neverending Story. But again, by this time, he had directed a couple really bad sort of Warner Brothers movies. The larger scale films with both Troy and, and this, um, that kind of, you know, pun intended, sunk. His career basically yeah, after like those movies, here, right? But I found like I like Air Force One. Oh, Air Force too. One's a lot of fun, but th- that was that was late nine, mid to late 90s, right? Where th- this was like Troy and Poseidon Adventure, I think, were like the two films that kind of really just after that kind of destroyed a career that was you know celebrated with making one of the greatest World War two claustrophobic films with Daz Boot. Um, but with With Poseidon Adventure, I think one of the things that kind of stuck out to me that I thought was strange, and spoiler alert for anybody that that wants to see Poseidon Adventure, I thought it was kind of cheap that they killed off kevin Dillon so early because it kind of felt like he was going to be the character that kind of screws up the situation for everybody else or metal right and- but they
0: make him a punchline right like they kind of just make him an asshole very quickly and then he gets splattered by a, a very again a conveniently timed piece of thing falling directly on him
1: <laughs> yeah and the casting of him as well is is very much of the early 2000s because i mean i like kevin Dillon uh quite a bit and like obviously the remake but of that's what entourage, up, entourage yeah, exactly yeah. and like even you know, Emmy Rossum coming off of, you know, the Joel Schumacher Phantom of the Opera and things like that. Like you can tell, with the exception of Kurt Russell, uh, who is just timeless. Uh, You know, a lot of the casting is of that Mm -hmm. period, with the exception Mm -hmm. of Russell and and Richard Dreyfus.
0: Yeah. So again, not a great movie, but um, you should have watched Volcano with Tommy Lee Jones and Mm -hmm. Anne Hayes. Oh, I've watched that with Nevis before. Come on. Um, (laughs) We were going to watch Deep Impact, but then I have that on 4K. So, like, here's my thinking though: I won't watch something that I could watch on my good TV in 4K, like on like I had the Blu-rays, and we were watching on there you know smaller probably 32 inch tv had great speakers though because he has a great setup with his record player and stuff like that so um although the balance is a little weird where the dialogue's quiet but then the action sequences literally blow out your eardrums (laughs) because it's so loud so it's like always volume up volume down but um yeah ridiculous movie um but yeah even again um fergie performing like two different songs. You can very much tell this was in the, you know, mid two thousands and like, uh, just absolutely ridiculous. And then that classic kind of disaster movie situation where by the end of it, you're just supposed to be happy and celebratory that these five people made it out alive. But well, that was the original one as well, which is weirdly also
1: like there was a time. I think I've talked about this on the show before where in the 1970s, (laughs) disaster movies were like marvel films they were like the kind of the closest thing to blockbusters at that time period so you had Poseidon adventure you had earthquake towering inferno you know there was a ton of those films and they were all really popular because it was you know star-studded ensembles and you know the idea of like a high concept very easy to follow action vehicle where you put these you know, characters in peril and they had to work together and put aside their differences or not in order to get out of a situation. And there was this time where those movies were, you know, the the most popular. So when you see one of these kind of films Get made again, and and a lot of them. There was that revival in the late '90s with you mentioned Deep Impact and Armageddon coming out in the same year. You know, you had Poseidon Adventure, um, and and again, like some others, kind of trickling out a little bit later with that horrible, you know, Into the Storm or or Hurricane Heist or things like that. So when they do pop up, or Volcano and, and Dante's Peak, um, when they do pop up, they do almost weirdly feel more like a relic than anything else, especially oh, nowadays. Yeah. Like I mean, Geostorm, good... Geostorm yeah. and, and Greenland, you know, <laughs> Gerard Butler movies. Like they're also, again, sort of it's, it's not common for, for those movies to be made anymore. It's, no, it's the
0: rock was in one recently. Wasn't he? San Andreas. San Andreas. Right? Yeah. And then, um, I Nevis loves disaster movies, good, bad, anything in between. She's down. Roland Emmerich, one of her favorite filmmakers, one <laughs> like, of our greatest auteurs. Um, so I, and I'm, I'm all down for it. Cause like, again, not a lot of them are pretty bad, but, um, Avalanche I think it, is
1: the worst. I think, um,
0: if they're, I think it's, they have to be at least fun. And I, and that's, I sort of had fun with Poseidon. Um, and, I don't know, maybe that's a lot to do with the cast, but, um, I, I think I can watch any crappy disaster movie and still somewhat have a good time. So, um, I don't know. That's like, uh, I, I, I would be open for more of them. I actually, it's a genre that you, like you said, kind of went to the wayside, but, um, I'll watch whenever a new one comes out. I'll be like, yeah, you know, I'm in the mood for some fucking disaster movie. Who cares?
1: Well, you know who doesn't like Um, it is uh, Russell Crowe in um, Ridley Scott's Body of Lies. His character who meets up with Leonardo DiCaprio uh, in one scene says that he spent the whole plane ride watching uh, Poseidon Adventure and uh hated. so the original or poseidon or poseidon the new one yeah okay. specifically yeah, yeah. because it was like him making a joke like you know plain movies are terrible yeah, um yeah. and like it, the funniest thing about that is on um when he was on letterman russell crow russell crow talked about improvising that scene and that sure. it wasn't written in the script that it's like oh you can but make he just hated poseidon <laughs> yeah, and it was even funnier because body of lies is also a warner brothers movie <laughs> so it's almost like i don't know if he realized that he was making fun of you know a product that was owned by the studio that was producing. I'm sure at that point they didn't really care. When did Body of Lies come 2008. out? 2008. It would have
0: been. So, oh, it it's only right a couple years. That. Yeah.
1: <laughs> did it? Uh, I don't even but
0: know. But Letterman wrong, made a whole but...
1: thing about it on, like, he was like, so, Russell, I heard you did some improvising on Body of Lies. It's like, yeah, I said I didn't like uh, Poseidon and, you know, kind of had fun <laughs> with that. So, yeah.
0: Uh, so those are the movies we watched at the cottage. Other than that, um, played a lot of games. I read. Uh, a lot of comic books, actually. Um, I read uh, Scott Snyder's, um, oh my God, why am I blanking? Um, uh, The Batman Who Laughs is what it's called. So uh, Scott Snyder, one of my favorite uh, comic authors, um, comic book writers, he's done a long run on Batman for DC, starting Um, you know, in 2011, he wrote for detective comics when Dick Grayson was Batman and he did an arc called the bat, uh, sorry, the black mirror. And it was, uh, kind of Dick Grayson dealing with a bunch of different things, but one of the aspects being, uh, James Gordon Jr. Comes back and he is revealed to be a serial killer, um, and dealing with kind of James Jr. Being the psychopath. So anyways, he's written for Batman for 10 years now. Uh, both starting with dick grayson bruce's batman his stuff has gotten he wrote on justice league he did a thing called dark knight's metal where it got a little you know the dark universe and all this not the dark universe like in the movies that we make fun of all the, the time universal but, like, monsters the dark multiverse kind of thing in the comics he 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 touched on and then anyways the batman who laughs focuses on a version of batman from those dark knight metal books that he did where it's Basically, if um, Joker had a toxin in his heart, when if he was killed, it would release this toxin and basically uh, make that person Joker. Essentially, like wait, when was this? When and, was like, this? This published a couple years ago. Okay, so it's or ripping last off last year, or you,
1: it's ripping why? off the plot of Spawn when Martin Is it? Sheen puts in this sort of like uh, um biochemical bomb in his heart and if the if his heart stops it'll unleash the bio uh, chemical that will kill all of the earth well this doesn't
0: kill any uh it just creates the that whoever kills him becomes joker essentially still ripping Uh, off spawn um (laughs) sure um so this version of batman did like kills the joker and becomes basically joker if he was bruce wayne so bruce wayne with all of batman's training um but if he was as fucked up as the joker so he he's really kind of cool looking as this spike kind of uh, visor thing that he wears and he's totally he looks like oh oh yeah i think i've seen a photo he almost looks like a
1: hellraiser character
0: yeah a little bit um so anyways it's about this batman comes and fucks with you know our timelines bruce wayne and batman um, and essentially tries to make the same thing happen there. But it, it ties in basically, it touches on a lot of what Scott wrote about 10 years ago. And it almost felt like his career coming full circle on Batman. Like it, it seems like he was, okay, my time starting, I'm going to move on from writing Batman. Like I want to kind of put everything into this one last kind of book. And I know he's done other things, and I want to read The Last Night on Earth and other stuff that he's done with Greg Capullo, who ironically, uh, one of the original, uh, 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 artists on spawn um there it is (laughs) um and with todd mcfarlane and um so he's worked a lot with greg capullo so maybe there was a spawn um kind of reference maybe that is that but um james jr comes back and and bruce and 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 gordon have to have get help from james who's now kind of in like a rehab program where he's taking uh experimental medicine to try to fix him like cure him of his you know, being a psychopath. So basically they have to use James and it brings in the court of owls, which Scott created. So his, one of his big uh, storylines early when he worked on the Bruce Wayne, Batman was creating the court of owls, which they've used in other mediums and look like they're going to make in a new Batman game. It's rumored to be in the Matt Reeves Batman movie might be uh, secretly involving the court of owls. And the court of owls is a secret society that has run in Gotham basically since the dawn of time. And so it kind of brings elements from all these different arcs that he's done over his 10 year kind of span on Batman and brought him into this one story. And it's, uh, it, it was illustrated by Jock who, uh, the artist Jock who did, um, that first Batman arc on detective comics that I'm talking about. But not uh, Cousteau. Um, uh, no, I actually have a Batman poster by Jock right back here. It's a dark Knight rises poster. Oh yes. That um, is that a I'm very pointing good pointing to Eric um that was illustrated by jock um so anyways it was excellent um i just loved seeing like james jr that um iteration of that character in the black mirror that makes him a serial killer um i thought was fucking awesome and they i haven't really seen i know he's popped up in some batgirl comics because that deals with his sister obviously barbara but um it was just kind of cool to see scott's you know um Career come full circle on Batman, and I really kind of enjoyed that. So, read that. I hope they utilize a lot of Scott's ideas in um, movies and stuff moving forward. I think The Court of Owls will show up in a movie soon. It's too good of an idea to not do it. Um, And then the other thing I read, Eric, was a Hawkeye comic series, which never thought I'd be interested in a Hawkeye uh, comic book series, but I've been hearing for a long time that Matt Fraction run on Hawkeye from a couple years ago um, was excellent and is what the basis of the Hawkeye TV show is kind of going to have inspiration from. Like if you've seen the logo uh, for um, the Hawkeye TV show, it is the logo from this series uh, of Hawkeye. So it's by Matt Fraction and David uh, Aja who does the art. And uh, basically it's Clint Barton and Kate Bishop. kind of working together um, to kind of, uh, Clint's kind of on the outs, like he's down on the outs, like he's divorced. He uh, basically is showcasing what he does when he's not with the Avengers. So what he just kind of does on his own. So when he's a so Ronan he's, or? No, this is after Ronan. So he's not Ronan anymore. But when he was Ronan is when Kate Bishop became Hawkeye. If that makes sense, right? So, so now there are two Hawkeyes. Kate Bishop and Hawkeye are technically Hawkeye. And is and Kate
1: Bishop still his niece,
0: or are they related? No, they're they're not related <clears throat> at all. So, um, Kate Bishop's not related to Hawkeye. Um, oh, it, from she's my never understanding. Been. No, okay. Because I always thought like she was like relate
1: f- f- no. through family of some way. Because not that I know. Because I heard that like, oh, uh, Kate Bishop was a fan of Hawkeye, and I'm like, does Hawkeye have fans?
0: Um, there's some great stuff in this, Eric, and like, it is so fucking good. Like the art is incredible. Um, it's very funny. And like, um, basically the villains in the story are the, uh, um, uh, the, uh, tracksuit vampires and, um, <laughs> they're, they're like Russian, Russian guys that always say bro. And they're like, bro, we got to get him, bro. And like, that's not all the, But do they do that is, in like, that like Eastern like,
1: European accent?
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, you're that's how I'm reading it. Right. right? Like that's in like, it's kind of sometimes broken English or whatever, how it's written. But like, um, you get the introduction to lucky the pizza dog, which is Hawkeye's dog, which we know that's going to be in the upcoming Hawkeye show, which is dog. He rescues that loves pizza. And like, Um, Kate Bishop is, is I can perfectly envision how Haley Steinfeld is going to play Kate Bishop. And it gets me so excited. And just her back and forth with Hawkeye is so much fun. There's a, a, one of his neighbors calls him Hawk guy. He thinks his name is Hawk guy, but you say it quickly and it sounds like Hawkeye. Um, And there's just so many good one-off bits and like there's a a villain that kind of looks like uh, he's like a clown sort of like not Joker but more of like a creepy Russian guy in a trench coat that wears uh, sort of more of the clown makeup like Joaquin Phoenix's Joker but more it's just the white paint with black and has a teardrop and like um, and it's just there's so many cool elements and it kind of you know, it's only 20-something issues. And uh basically the first part focuses on Kate Bishop and Hawkeye together. Kate ends up going to California and Hawkeye stays in New York, and then their stories kind of intertwine, and you see kind of Kate's side of things and then Hawkeye's side of things, or Clint's side of things, and then it kind of kinda, kinda all comes full circle. So, um, I'm so intrigued to see, and you see other Avengers involved, like, uh, all his exes get shown up. He has a relationship with this woman who, how he gets tied into this, uh, tracksuit vampires and, and and shit like that. And, um, it's just, it's really, I'm probably not doing a great job explaining it, but all you need to know is that it is really, really, really good. And, um, I'm so surprised cause I know everyone said it was amazing, but like, I was like, is a Hawkeye book really going to be that interesting. And just seeing him kind of down on his outs, kind of dealing, he owns like an apartment building and he has barbecues on the rooftop and he's trying to stick out with uh, uh stick up for everyone in his building. And that's essentially what these mobsters kind of want is like, they're trying to buy up everything in the neighborhood so they can tear it down. And, um, and, and build something and he's the one kind of hold out and they're kind of coming after him consistently for that. And then it deals, uh, Madam mask is another villain that is basically the, so Clint is dealing with this tracksuit vampire crew. It's what they, he calls them. And then Kate on, down in LA is dealing with Madam mask, uh, which is a villain I wasn't super familiar with, but kind of a, a cool story there as well. And I, uh, if people have heard me talk about the Disney villainous, and now there's a Marvel villainous board game, the new expansion of that has Loki, Modok, and Madame Mask. And I was like, I've never fucking heard of Madame Mask, but now I've read this, and I'm kind of, I'm like, oh, she might be the villain of that series, maybe with this tracksuit vampire crew. Well, isn't Florence like Pugh kind of
1: supposed to be the villain of this? Yeah, uh,
0: I don't think she's gonna be the villain. Like, I think she's going to take like so Natasha. Uh, is you know pretty prevalent throughout you know this run, and I don't think that the show is going to necessarily be a one-to-one retelling of of what happens in this comic series, but I think it's going to be heavily inspired by it. But um, and we've seen like uh you know uh spoilers if you guys don't want to know about set photos of Hawkeye and stuff, but like we've seen uh, like. Clint with a hearing aid and stuff like that. So the comic kind of like deals with um, his loss of, of hearing and, and, and things like that. And um, yeah, I don't know how Florence Pugh will be involved, right? Like it could just be in a more, like, we don't know if she's going after him or if he's, if she's
1: trying to recruit him. Right. Right. Cause you would think that like the way, I mean, again, spoiler alert, the way that they kind of set it up, it Almost seems like she's gonna go after him for revenge. Mm-hmm. That's what I think they want you to think, right? right. But
0: uh, I'm not totally sure. Um, and I want to find like a good description of this. There's the omnibus, that's, oh, here at Hawkeye, though. And here's a good plug like the entire uh saga is coming out in a paperback on November 2nd of this year. I read it through the library, I just got the digital um <clears throat> copies of the. They each kind of book had five, um, five issues or something, and they kind of split them up. So they split up Hawkeye's, uh, sorry Clint's story and Kate Bishop's story. Um, but I think in the actual issues, they kind of went back and forth on them um so it's like clint barton continues his fight for justice and good rooftop barbecues with young avenger kate bishop by his side he's out to get some downtime from being one of earth's mightiest heroes but when the apartment building he's moved into and the neighbors he's befriended are threatened by a tracksuit wearing dog abusing gang of eastern european mobsters who say bro an awful lot clint must stand up and defend his new adopted family any way he can it's hawkeye kate kate uh, Katie, Kate, Pizza Dog, and friends against the Clown, Madame Mask, the tracksuit Draculas—sorry, that's what they were—the tracksuit Draculas, and more in a fantastic Eisner-winning uh, reinvention of the Avenger and so, the art. So, how does is Dom Toretto
1: fit into this?
0: I wish, man, because I it wish, sounds but... almost
1: like they are going for like a Fast and Furious style sort of family with the adjacent thing. thing. Yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: yeah, and they kind of just make Hawkeye like this, like. You know, the big thing is like he's the human on the Avengers, right? So it, they kind of deal with a lot of that and him dealing with a lot of that. And they kind of, I'm curious if they're going to have him like. You know, divorced from you know his wife in the movies, or if that's too depressing because he was working so hard to get them back, right? Or he was so depressed about them. I killed all uh, those people dusting. for you. <laughs> yeah, or maybe that's something. Like maybe she goes, you, you know, you did a lot of fucked up stuff while you thought you well, we were that, gone.
1: That or uh, sleeve that he has, maybe that's the <laughs> <Yeah>. reason why. <laughs> that sleeve and the
0: haircut. right? yeah.
1: yeah. You um, changed too much. <laughs>
0: but I'm very excited uh, for the series now. And um, I highly suggest that you go and read um, this series. Cause like, I I really do think that, you know, it will, I don't think it'll ruin anything going into the Hawkeye show. I just think you'll have the context and it made me really love Kate Bishop, like just her kind of snarky back and forth and just kind of, she's super cool. And, and like, I'm just, I'm um, all for it. And it kind of had like a, it has like a retro vibe to it. The, um, all the art and stuff too. And it's just, it's, it's fucking awesome. So go check that out, everyone.
1: I highly suggest reading that.
0: Um, Eric, what else did you, uh, get up to while I was gone?
1: Well, speaking of Batman, Matt, uh, I watched the, uh, Val Kilmer documentary, uh, Val on Amazon, uh, Prime, which you can watch right now if, if you're interested. Um, it's essentially a classic, um, sort of telling or biography of you know Val Kilmer. It's it was co-released or, or co-created by A24, and it, it has a it shares a little bit of a, a similarity with uh, De Palma, with the exception of it's more sort of it's less static than De Palma. It's not just De Palma sitting and ta- talking about his entire career with clip shows, but it does go through Val Kilmer's career the same way, where it kind of charts the beginning of his life and sort of him growing up in socal california and and you know having lost one of his brothers who was a a budding filmmaker uh wesley at a very young age and how that kind of loomed over the rest of his family and 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 his life and him going to juilliard and um being an understudy for you know New York plays in the late seventies, early eighties, with people like uh, Kevin Bacon and Sean Penn kind of being uh, the the first two stars, and all of this has been. Uh, Archived and, and and shot by Val Kilmer, who you know was an early adopter of uh, video camera technology, and and has all these years and years of behind the scenes footage uh, available for the filmmakers. To the the two filmmakers are um, actually um, sort of associated crew members of uh, Harmony Corinne and the movie does at times feel a little bit like a Harmony Corinne vibe where you have sort of um, strange idiosyncratic moments that kind of break in between sort of the narrative thread of showing the archival footage or having, you know, Val sort of, um, have his son do a lot of the, the voiceover narration, uh, Jack Kilmer, because obviously he is, uh, Val has recovered from throat cancer, but can no longer, uh, speak, uh, clearly he has a, uh, a tube in his, his throat. So it's hard for, for him to speak. And, and there are subtitles when he is talking, but you, you understand what he's saying. And, um, I think one of the, the more sad and also, um, Kind of cringe worthy aspects of of where Val Kilmer is now is you have to see him go to you, you know Comic Con and sign you know tons of photos and fan merchandise and it gets very repetitive and this is like how he makes money now because he made bad investments you know in the in the 1980s because his father was kind of obsessed with becoming a land baron in california so he wanted to support him and so he put a lot of money into that and so you see you know this actor who You know, sits for hours and hours on end where, you know, his contemporaries like Tom Cruise, like Sean Penn, like Kevin Bacon are out there, you know, performing and acting. And you kind of see like the highs and lows of his career from, you know, breaking out in Top Gun to, um, you know, getting the role in Batman Forever and that kind of being a disappointment and where that went and why he left the sequel and sort of the start of him kind of being... Sort of build or, or getting that reputation of him being a uh, sort of difficult to work with. Uh, and all the while, you see a guy that is very passionate about acting. There's some repetition with um, the island of Dr. Monroe and sort of all the problems that were behind the scenes, but you get to see it in a new angle where, like, there's footage of him and David Thulis who in the Island or the Island of Lost Souls documentary which was more focused on Richard Stanley and the production overall there was nothing of, of, of David Thewlis like he was kind of a non-entity being the guy who replaced Rob Morrow at the last minute and so now you have you know <laughs> Thewlis and and Kilmer like having these conversations about like John Frankenheimer not knowing what to do with the cast and not properly rehearsing and blocking and things like that and Kilmer kind of clashing with um, Frankenheimer specifically who again d- really was past his prime and didn't know what he was really doing and Marlon Brando kind of becoming a problem as well and not really wanting to work on set um and part of me really loved the archival footage and sort of app- reappreciating or reappraising Val Kilmer because Val Kilmer is one of those guys where he he's not necessarily like the first name that you 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 come up with when you're looking at those actors of his generation when saying like oh who are the best he like it's it was one of those jokes that even family guy made i remember where you know brian is on the phone to lois when he's in hollywood it's like oh i'm going to this big movie premiere uh for the new and he's looking at these tv guides and he has to pick between both kevin costner and val kilmer and he doesn't know which one to pick because he thinks that they're both you know not great and that was kind of like always the joke with val kilmer like even though you know <laughs> he could be quite memorable as Iceman in in Top Gun or give you know a great performance that a lot of people haven't seen in in David Mamet's Spartan he nece- he wasn't necessarily like the guy that like was a box office sort of you know um actor like Tom Cruise was and so when you know he does Batman and it all kind of falls apart in in the similar way that like when you see you know Ewan McGregor and Liam Neeson kind of feel disappointed with what start, what star Wars episode one became when they were so excited to begin with. Um, it's just, it's, it's a shame. And like, again, Kilmer has done some really, really good work over the years. And you're reminded of that with, you know, kiss, kiss, bang, bang. And obviously he's great in, in Michael Mann's heat. Um, but it also makes and and tombstone, which, you know, is doc Holliday. He's awesome. Speaking of Kurt Russell as well, like there's some footage of Kurt Russell and him hanging out behind the set. And Kurt Russell is so charming and lives up to your expectations. the that behind the scenes footage of just Kilmer kind of shooting and, and, and Russell hanging with the rest of the crew. Um, but it never he never he never really kind of became the actor he wanted to. And you see like this brief moment of him making a bit of a comeback where he's trying to get funding for his Mark Twain biopic and doing a stage version of that before you know he had to go in for surgery for for throat cancer. Where you see like he's having this moment of being sort of rejuvenated within the world of acting. Um, but at the same time, I felt that it was a little bit unbalanced with how it was kind of using both the past and present to sort of showcase where he was was in his life and what it all kind of means overall and what the film is trying to say. Like it, it just kind of feels like this really um, nice showcase to remind people that Kilmer has done good work and was a good actor. And, and yeah. it's a shame it's just where he is now, because as much as he doesn't sort of um, – you know belittle anybody who's making a life going to these comic cons and things like that you just again you look at him and look at the work that he's done you're kind of like it's just a shame that this guy who you know even though he's recovered he's still somewhat fragile and you know like there are moments where he gets he's starts getting sick and he has to take a break. And then he still has to come back though and sign a bunch of other stuff because this is how he's making money to support his, his family and things like that. And you kind of, your heart breaks there a little bit because it, it just, it feels like, you know, this, this guy was kind of dealt a, a a really shitty hand. And um, I just, I just wanted to love it more though, because again, I love the archival stuff. I like what it's doing with the present, but I don't feel that it kind of tonally all comes together and meshes as one. But it's still worth checking out. And especially like I I wish they kind of went a little bit more into his latter films. Like they don't really go into Spartan or like they focus on kind of the bigger movies that you'd expect, you know, like his (laughs) his his time sort of wanting to really hone his craft for you know the doors when he went method play jim morrison and how that kind of was a strain on his relationship with his wife at the time um right and so what
0: about him as dieter von kunth and in, in mcgruber there is
1: there is a scene there is a quick kind of sizzle <laughs> okay. reel of those later scenes and he's yeah. actually quite good in that movie oh yeah um even though i'm not the biggest fan of mcgruber it's it's fine but like that yeah there's like this weird like sizzle reel after um sort of like the late nineties, early two thousands Val Kilmer, where it kind of goes past kiss, kiss, bang, bang Spartan, uh, Oliver stones, Alexander and things like that. It's, it's the anecdotal stuff kind of feels like the least interesting because you have clips that are also from like behind the scenes, Blu-ray and DVD documentary footage that you could just watch the DVD of. Like you have footage of Robert Downey Jr. talking about like how Val Kilmer is not, you know uh problematic and that he's a, like a good actor to work with and like him kind of being dubbed as as a guy that is just kind of difficult is a bunch of nonsense he's just passionate about working on it. it's like stuff you could watch you know sure. on your own time on like,
0: the kiss kiss bang bang blu-ray yeah, yeah
1: where like the archival stuff is what you come to see and also just to appreciate the work more but when you're when you get those moments it just kind of feels like well, oh, you don't really need that in in here
0: yeah Cool. Yeah, I do want to watch it, but um, I had just haven't got around to it. But
1: um, it is yeah. it is worth checking out. I just was a little. I just wanted more from it. Like I was a little Fair. bit disappointed overall in terms of like thinking this would be really really great. But it was fine. But it's it's still definitely worth um uh your time. Um I i won't go too much into it. I rewatched Coda, which you can go in, and uh listen to our Sundance review from earlier this nice. year. I do want to rewatch it. It holds Nebus, up, it's yeah. still charming. It still works really, really well in terms of just a feel-good crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. Um Ta- to jump on that, to go back to Hawkeye, they do a whole uh
0: issue in sign language, which I thought was really really interesting. Like the whole issue, there's no dialogue boxes. It's literally in sign language. And if you don't, you know, if you can't read American sign language, um, uh, you'll just kind of have to follow with the art. And I just think that was uh, super creative, and um, and then there's also an issue told entirely from the dog's perspective, and it's also awesome,
1: right? Which, so. uh, which I kind of appreciate because, again, like I, I know it's not the the apt. Ex- oh, there's I have one more thing from uh, Christmas oh, in August.
0: Wow. Oh, a little surprise halfway through the show. This is under
1: my. Oh, it's uh, let's see here. <laughs> it is. Oh, it's uh. uh
0: Bert Bee's, uh, oh, Bert's bees. Yeah, yeah. I, I saw that documentary at TIFF. I interviewed, uh, the founder of Bert's bees and the filmmaker.
1: Well, no, Bert's dead now. So, okay. Oh, well, really? Yeah, that he, guy I interviewed. Yeah, the the actual oh, sort of like he he became more of a, a figurehead as. Uh, the company kind of became more corporate
0: Um, very uh, interesting guy i interviewed him yeah very nice actually yeah Um, he's yeah he's been dead for i think a few years now it was 2013 when i did that so yeah so coda
1: holds up very good now available on apple tv plus tv happy pv uh but (laughs) it is weird because there hasn't been a lot of promotion i know um, isn't that unfortunate especially with like television and not just like like internet and Twitter, like literal, like actual promotion and for a film to get like our parents interested. Yeah. or, or uh, Yeah. And for a film that they spend $25 think, million on, you think that they would put it in a, a marketing campaign?
0: Yeah. Cause I haven't seen like we're in our bubble, so we know it's coming out and, and we kind of see the promotion on our Apple TVs that we have or whatever. But like, yeah, I, I couldn't tell you, like I've seen some of the cast post billboards in Los Angeles or something like that, but I didn't even see a big trailer drop for it or or anything, right? Like, it's kind of, yeah. I mean, we've talked about it time and time again of how you make it in the streaming world, but and a lot of these big companies spending so much money on a movie to just then, like, are they just hoping that it has some awards, uh, you know, uh, momentum, and then it I guess it picks so. And up I, then? I guess they
1: maybe are relying on you know the critical reception and word of mouth and sort of just that build up of momentum of of being a film that is that that little movie that could but that's not always the best way to go especially with a streamer service that is still relatively young because when you think of Apple TV plus at this moment the thing that it's defined by is Ted Lasso and that and nothing else like like Apple TV plus still has tv and its title so you know there are, are are probably academy members and people thinking that oh this will be nominated for you know emmys mm-hmm. or something next year you know in best right. tv movie um where it's you know it is a film and they are trying you know they had a, apple had a little bit of success last year with you know obviously wolf walkers and, and and things like that but they they haven't been putting as much um effort when it comes to the marketing side of things for coda which i i just really find Surprising, and it, and it's not to say that like, you know, Martin Scorsese will need that same kind of marketing for Killers of the Flower Moon when that comes sure, out because Scorsese yeah. is is name enough, and
0: and I'm sure that'll get like a prime, you know, December release, or and I November think that'll be a theatrical
1: something. release first before it's available on on Apple TV Plus. I think that was part of the deal where the like deal, it will yeah. be in theaters before it does stream.
0: So, and I with think everyone doing that 45 day thing now, I feel like most people will be okay with that. Yeah. Right? Where
1: Coda is also playing in theaters and it is there, there is closed captioning, which is great uh, for the film where it is playing in the U S but it almost feels like it's more sort of geared towards watching it at home and streaming it. If you are going to watch it, like there hasn't been a lot of emphasis on, and I, and I understand with the, with, you know, the Delta variant and and people kind of being hesitant again to go into a theater and having yeah. the option of watching it at home. But even then, it hasn't really been sort of um, advertised in the way that you think a movie like that would. You know, if you're going to if you're going to try to make this the next Little Miss Sunshine or something like that. You know, you need to really put the effort into marketing. You just can't buy the film and and hope that the narrative from, you know, oh, Apple TV plus spent $25 million on this movie. So I got to see it. That doesn't translate to, you know, mainstream audiences. Yeah,
0: yeah, I totally agree. It's, um, I don't know how you solve that, but like, I guess you
1: just get a lot of TV ads or, or something, but, um. But even then, yeah, I just haven't seen a whole lot of marketing. Um, quickly running through, I'll talk about um, The Ritual uh, when we do our review for The Night House, uh, because it's from the same director, David Bruckner. Um, I watched... Uh, Uh, The classic Alfred Hitchcock movie, uh, The Lady Vanishes, um, from 1938 again on uh, Criterion Blu-ray. It's one of my favorite kind of pre-Hollywood Hitchcock movies. Uh, Michael Redgrave is fantastic in it. It has very snappy and modern dialogue. And it's one of those movies that if you know somebody that's maybe a little bit apprehensive towards black and white classic cinema... um, this is one of those movies I would recommend because a lot of Hitchcock films still kind of have a somewhat modern sort of, or don't feel as dated or as as sort of of their time. Like there is something that is that transcends into the quality of um, sort of you know present and past it does have a timeless quality and so the lady vanishes i mean you've seen that version or that story done many times before i mean the obvious one being the uh kind of middling jodie foster uh flight plan movie where you know a character um talks to somebody or meets somebody and then you know they're basically gaslit into thinking that they never this person was never on uh, the plane or the train or whatever vehicle, um, you know, they're, they're, they're riding on. And it's sort of just this fun mystery action, uh, with a little twinge of romance and playful banter. And it's just Hitchcock having a lot of fun. And it's one of, uh, again, just, just a great movie. Like I just really, really love, uh, that film so much. And it's, and it just, it moves, uh, like a locomotive, uh, which is, nice. which is very apt. Um, a movie that is a little bit tougher to watch, but I got a um, Blu-ray copy of and I saw uh, last year at last year's TIFF as uh, a film called Beginning. And it's from a uh, Georgian uh, filmmaker who I cannot pronounce her name. So I'm going to butcher this horribly. And I apologize to to her in the process. Um, I've been there. I've been there. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Alex is going to have a uh, a field day with this one. All right. Hold on. I'm just looking this up quickly and it is uh, okay i this is this is making for great television or uh yeah, television yeah. radio <laughs> pardon me uh, you
0: spoiled what our 100th episode announcement's gonna be i'm kidding we're not being on tv everyone yeah, yeah. eric's already on tv yeah uh a pregnant pause that everyone thought their thing probably froze or something like that. I love to, to leave you to... in suspense.
1: Well, cause there's so many movies named beginning. <laughs> I'm going through this list. Um, I just want to try to pronounce it the best I can. Um, so it's from a uh, Georgian filmmaker, Dia Kolum uh, Begloslivi, Okay. Which I, mean, I probably mispronounced that horribly. And I apologize, but the movie itself is very much in the line of this new wave of, you know, Eastern European and European filmmakers where they're not holding any punches. And um, the story is basically from the point of view of uh, the wife of a Jehovah witnesses uh, minister and sort of seeing this secluded Georgian town um, being terrorized by the locals who don't believe in Jehovah's witness uh, and and sort of that religious uh, sort of way of life, <laughs> and how this one woman is terrorized um, and assaulted by um, a group of people, one of which is a police officer, and the way that the movie is shot, it's it's all kind of static, kind of uh, widescreen images, and and sort of um, wide to establishing shots, and. It's so atmospheric and very eerie at times, and there's a couple jump scares that you're not expecting from a film that is very much in line with a lot of Michael Haneke's stuff, and it does punish the main character in ways that are unflinching and, and, and very brutal and almost as if y- you can't watch them at times, or you're wondering if this filmmaker, you know, hates the character that she has centered the story around and it couldn't be further, but it is a very tough watch, but a very um, powerful one. Um, and it was picked up distribution wise by Mubi uh, last year. And, through movie, Kino Lorber has released it on Blu-ray. And if you're into sort of um, what's going on right now in uh, Europe, especially with movies like Beanpole and and Beginning and also even Cuvada Seda, um, these are, I think, going to be the next generation of great filmmakers and i mean obviously we're even seeing them farmed out some of them to you know to the last of us so um if you're not farmed out they probably want to do it okay i hope so <laughs> i hope so I, I mean at least if they're looking at it from a strategical point of view they're probably making more money you know working on one or two episodes directing oh, you know, totally. this, and Get then, then, money, then but... they can go and make their other sort of small depressing and hopefully they can bring film. some
0: of that Small, depressing art house stuff to the last of us.
1: And I, yeah, and, and 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 again, like um, beginnings, not for everybody. And I totally understand that. And there are some trigger warnings to do with sexual assault and some disturbing violence. But if you are looking for a film that's kind of in the vein of what Michael Haneke was doing and and still is, um, this is very much that kind of movie. And again, like I love that you're seeing these younger filmmakers who are in their late twenties, early thirties showing a lot of restraint. Like when you think of like the the stereotype of a young filmmaker, kind of you think of like, okay, their first film, they're gonna throw everything in the kitchen sink into the project because one, they're, you know, it's their first film, they're unexperienced. They want to show off their skill set and 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 you know get their next job. But also maybe they're thinking this could be the only movie I ever make. So I want to leave a lasting impression with this film or 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 have my signature on it. This movie especially is so restrained and quiet and creepy and it plays as much as a horror film as a political thriller as a film about sort of religious convictions and sort of the the challenging of religious convictions and i'm just really excited to see where this filmmaker is going to go so it's now available on blu-ray as well so if you don't have movie uh and you're interested in the film and you do want to pick it up on on physical media it does have a blu-ray release through kino lorber love it love it Anything else? Uh, no, that's it. Uh, After that pregnant pause, I think uh, we're good to go into the news. (laughs) Um...
0: Last thing for me, I rewatched Don't Breathe, but I will talk about that when we review Don't Breathe too. So um, update there. Eric and I didn't um, see it last week when it opened because I was away and we just thought, you know, we'll go see it together. Well, here It also didn't get any press screenings here in Canada. It, it, yeah, yeah,
1: it was basically a film. But that usually
0: did- we would have went on the Thursday and had a review for people before the weekend, um, but I was away. So we uh, are just waiting. A hey, you're bit. only gonna- human. You know, we'll you have need that some review to- uh, probably uh, August seventeenth, um, which is a tomorrow Tuesday. If you're listening to this right away, but um, sometime this week you will get a "Don't Breathe" two review, which I will talk about rewatching uh, the first "Don't Breathe." Uh, there's a couple of breaking news, Eric. We're going to talk about you know Cineplex's CineClub as well as Landmark Cinemas' uh, extras. Um, which is their rewards program. Uh, But before then, I was just on Twitter. uh, Sony is nearing a $100 million deal to sell Hotel Transylvania, Transformania uh, to Amazon Prime. So that's interesting because Sony usually has been in bed with Netflix lately. Well, especially with, again, Adam Sandler, right, as well. Is is the Sandman back for this one? I heard that like – Or did they replace him or is he not in it at all? I don't know, like, um, yeah, replacing Brian Hull and Brad Abril are respectively voicing the roles of Dracula and Frankenstein, replacing Adam Sandler and Kevin James. The rest of the cast is returning, including Selena Gomez, Andy Sandberg, David Spade, Steve Buscemi, Catherine Hahn, Jim Gaffigan, Molly Shannon, Keegan-Michael Key, and Fran Drescher. Oh, before, uh, anyways, that's a hundred million dollars seems like a lot for the fourth hotel Transylvania movie on Amazon prime. But I mean, I guess that franchise is popular. They keep making those movies. Um, I did watch the finale of the white Lotus, Eric. So I should bring that up. Um, uh, before we move on, because I do want to talk about that. And I I think we should have a, a a more of a discussion once you watch it now that it's all out. But, um, I think Mike White stuck the landing. I think it's my favorite thing that he's done. Um, A show that, you know, gets you hooked with a, uh, a mystery of who died at the resort, but then uh, starts as this satirical kind of, like weird eccentric character focused show that I wasn't sure if I liked or if it was going to be more in the flight attendant thing where I hate watched it but then as the episodes went on I understood what he was going for and I actually and it's similar topics he's covered in other movies and things like that but I like the idea of you know setting a show at a luxury resort and then showcasing you know what you know white privilege does and what class divide does and and these people who go to this resort and just you know fuck up the lives of all the people who either are from Hawaii or work at this resort or are you know a person of color or are um a gay man or like it it's just a really interesting kind of character satire on you know Rich white people going to a resort and just completely
1: fucking things up for for it's almost people. like a reverse like, fire fest, right? Where yeah, like it's almost because like I remember with fire, like even though there's you know there from what you're saying, there's no the resort itself isn't like a disaster. No, 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 it's no, no, no. Like, but the idea where like watching Firefest, Fest, I remember like one of the big points of that movie or those documentaries were they were showing that how you know, people in the local community were the ones yeah. that suffered the most. It wasn't yes. even necessarily, um, you know, all these influencers that kind of, you know, got the wool pulled over their eyes. It was more so the people that were accommodating, um, you know, yeah. these, these sort of white privileged yes, that's influencers. exactly it. Yeah. And basically so had to pay for, for yeah. their, uh, you know, like you had one woman who was like literally paying uh, back everything that was, that was, that mm-hmm. was, you know uh, that was there for the actual hotel that's like-
0: actually a really interesting um comparison because that's what the show is kind of and just oblivious privileged rich white people is what the show is kind of poking fun at right and like and is a really like is just brutal <laughs> about it. And, and it's, but it's got really great performances and really great character beats. And as the show goes on, and you see more and more what he's doing, and that he is inserting that social commentary in there, um, and having it at a luxury resort and, and, and in Hawaii as well. And it touches on some of that stuff, which I brought up, I think, in the last episode. And, um, I think it's excellent. Uh, I think it's, uh, I, again, with Mayor of Easttown and now this, like I feel like HBO's got these kind of sleeper bangers on their hands, where like a lot of people are watching and talking about them, but I, it, they're not on that like level where everyone is watching and talking about them. Like I feel like the people who watch them are going, "Fuck, these shows are really good," um, but I don't think they've really taken off into like everyone I know watching them. Right? It's like, in the I, same way you know, that like but- something like the
1: first season of True Detective yeah. or Game of Thrones, obviously, like. I mean, mayor of East town seems more accessible from just the point of view of, you know, the subject matter and the filmmakers behind it, where Mike white is, is an acquired taste when it comes to this yeah. brand of deadpan humor. Yeah. And so, um, it, I'm, I'm really excited to watch it. And, and, and now I'll probably maybe watch it, binge watch it over the weekend or something like that and, and talk about it on the a hundredth episode. Um, but what I've always found with him is it does take some time um yeah. to really kind of get sort of settled in the that's world. that's what this show definitely and, – yeah. And even with, you know, uh, Enlightened, you know, I, I think I mentioned this before, the Laura Dern series that he, uh, you know, created. That was a show that, like, by the end of season one was when it was starting to really come into its own. And then when it got to season two and then it was canceled afterwards, it kind of felt like – you know, a, a little bit of a missed opportunity and a bit of a bummer that you know it, it was finally starting to find its footing. And you know, it, so it's almost interesting that a mini series is better serving to his sort of uh, even sensibilities. though it did get renewed for a season two, but it's going to
0: be more of like an anthology series where each season is at a different white. Lo- so the White Lotus will be like a chain, like the four seasons or something like that, and season two will be at a different white lotus resort with a different group of you know guests that go that go there and different employees and things Which like that. We should be at the Best
1: so. Western in Marseille with Matt Damon's <laughs> yeah, character. sure. <laughs> sure. But I want
0: to give a shout out like everyone in the show is fantastic but Murray Bartlett who I wasn't super familiar with um I'm going through his filmography right now and He's on he's Looking, a, right?
1: The the Andrew yep. uh, Haig series. Yes, he was yeah. a
0: regular on Looking. He was in all 16 episodes or or on 16 episodes of that show and the movie um he's going to be in the last of us which we just mentioned as frank which um i talked a little bit about with tim gettys when he was on the 97 or 8th draft 97th draft
1: will he still have the Um, same hawaiian shirt though um i
0: he might actually and um but he is fantastic in the show like i i didn't know much about you know this guy, I've never really seen him in much. And um but he has
1: a familiar um, look. I know he uh, does, our, yeah. our friend Jack Attenella was saying that um he was reminded of uh, Dabney Coleman. <laughs> okay. and he has a little bit of that look. i the the look I like the idea of, like, He's Australian, right? And, and yes. Yeah. I, I like the idea of like an Aust- a tr- an Australian transplant or or like a you know a British transplant or someone of that nature kind of working in the tropics. There's just something kind of weirdly comical about that I, mm-hmm. I find, especially when they have to wear you know something that is bright colored because usually yeah. <laughs> if you know any British people, uh, yeah. the way I do, you know, very pale skinned people.
0: <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, he's fantastic. I mean, Connie Britton is great. Jennifer Coolidge is great. Alexandra Daddario. Probably the best I've seen her in a long time since Texas um, Chainsaw the beginning. Yeah, this Get is for cause. you, cuz whatever. <laughs> <laughs> like, uh, I, I'll never forget. Um, but I never thought of her as like she has a really some great moments in the um in the uh in the latter half of the season that I just were unexpected. Oh. Um, for me, uh, Fred Hershinger, his whole arc, I think is so unexpected and so wonderful in the show. Like, uh, I don't want to get too much into it because I'll, again, we'll talk about it more after you've seen it, Eric, but like, uh, Fred Hershinger in the show. And it's just, it's so good where that character ends up and where he starts. Like he's everywhere now. Um, Jake Lacey plays a great piece of shit. Um, (laughs) and, uh, Molly Shannon, Steve Zahn, also, Uh, just as the oblivious kind of rich white guy, like, uh, like, uh, going through like a kind of crisis is just, it it is great as well. Did you Um, mention Jennifer Coolidge? I did. Yeah. Yeah. She's just perfect at that character (laughs) where she's just kind of like a woman who's kind of aloof and, and kind of a drunk and her mom recently died and she's just kind of gets attached to people really easily and, um, becomes obsessed with them. And, um, also Natasha Rothwell, um, Uh, plays like the spa manager and her storylines intertwine with jennifer coolidge's character and um again just uh she's fantastic on the show as well and then john Grease shows up and i was like this motherfucker was on lost does he live in hawaii (laughs) and i'm like um because i you know everything comes back to lost for me and i'm like god i haven't watched lost in a while but i'm like whose dad did he play i'm like was he kate's dad was he sawyer's dad i'm like who but then he ended up being uh, uh roger uh roger linus so ben linus's
1: dad oh i love uh john Grease. Uh, john Grease is yeah. one of those guys speaking of, of val kilmer uh one of val kilmer's early movies was real geniuses where uh john Grease plays a character who lives inside a, a a student closet <laughs> okay because he can't afford housing <laughs> amazing um, and yeah. he's, he's great he's yeah also, he's also he was also really wonderful like if you if you look up photos of him from uh, his uncle the sequ- rico too right? the <laughs> sequel to fright night he has this oh amazing, yeah amazing like mullet kind of hair thing going on because he's balding at the top he's just one of those guys that you always like Seeing pop up and stuff, I'm gonna look up a photo of him. As oh, here. he was in Monster Squad as well, yeah. which we just recently he was, the wolf, he was yeah, the, guy, the wolf man. He was the guy, yeah, he's so good. I, yeah, I really like him a lot. Yeah,
0: he's great. So, when he showed up, I mean, I always just go back to Lost because I remember him so vividly, even though he I get I'm looking, he was only in six episodes of Lost, but like that's a, immediately where I went to. And I know he was Uncle Rico in, in, in Napoleon Dynamite, and um, and he's been on a ton of different, he's been on what seems like every tv show for at least one episode <laughs> like it's like he showed up in hawaii Five O, supernatural nikita
1: psych cold case csi new york well, he's uh, a character actor and he's VR, clearly a yeah. guy that just likes to work and and always does good work and yeah he kind of almost has like that like weird hillbilly kind of look going on half yeah, of the time yeah. Um, yeah. i'm just gonna send you this photo of him drinking blood in uh fright night too and he
0: kind of has a hippie kind of thing going on in this as well um incredible great hair at that point looks like my dad in the uh 70s and 80s um so anyways yeah white lotus uh fantastic evolved into this show that i wasn't expecting it to but i should have known like i didn't know much going into it i just knew mike white wrote and directed it and then uh, the music is fantastic as well um and just the performances are fantastic and uh the social commentary is actually i think really strong so uh definitely go check out white lotus everyone it's now streaming on crave which now has 4k streaming eric so at last does it um, look any better yeah it does i threw it on um i threw on justice league and wonder woman because those are like the two kind of HBO max things that they have on there that are in uh, 4k and like, it's hard to kind of figure out what's in 4k and what's not. Like I couldn't even find the section that said like, this is in 4k. Like they might've removed that until they have more of a library, but um, I checked in my settings. It was playing in 4k. It did look better. Um, Less but compressed. I can't really, yeah. I mean, who knows, right? Like you could still be outputting at a 4k resolution, but your bitrate could still be shit to the point where it still looks compressed, right? Like, you can watch 4K videos on YouTube, but they're not going to look as good as, you know, someone who has great Compression and bitrate and like and things like that. Yeah, beat right? a person so, with
1: great compression.
0: I mean, or a Blu-ray or whatever, right? Like it's it's never gonna meet a 4K Blu-ray, but it might not even meet like Apple and Netflix's standards of streaming, who I think have really great streaming standards of, So would you uh, say
1: that you're a little less worried now about the quality, you know, with The Last of Us Maybe, but
0: like is HBO content, like their TV content going to be broadcasted in 4K, right? Like I don't think so right now. I think mostly everything's in um, 1080p, but – um, which 1080p content only recently got added to crave on a lot of platforms as well. And and we've watched tons of stuff and I've noticed that crave has gotten better. Like it's not as bad as it was a couple of years ago where, well, the, yeah, that last um, season,
1: of game of Thrones, especially the night awful. shots are just terrible. The digital and, noise.
0: And you still have that in a lot of stuff, but um, I do notice that it's better and all daytime scenes look fine on crave. It's just any nighttime stuff looks awful. So, um, I mean, that's great that they have 4K, but um, they need more content for it. But it's about time, I will say, uh, with that. Uh, other breaking news, uh Scarlett Johansson uh joined the new Wes Anderson movie. So she joins Margot Robbie, Taunt. <laughs> I love Boris Kit accidentally wrote Tawn Hanks. Um <laughs> He's he's my second um, favorite Tawn. Chet is my last favorite. <laughs> god. Uh, and you know, all the usual
1: suspects that are in a Anderson Bill Murray, movie. uh Adrian yeah. Brody, Tilda Swinton. Yeah um yeah, and so more. that's cool. I mean this would this will be um Scarlett Johansson's first live action. Yes. uh Wes Anderson movie because obviously she was a voice in uh, Isle of Dogs. Yes. Uh
0: so that's cool. Um on the trailer front, did well, we You know miss what anything? we should quickly
1: mention since you brought up 4K yeah. Criterion. There you go. Just announced that they're going to be releasing 4K UHD uh blu-rays not 4k scans anymore they're finally upgrading they'll still have blu-ray releases and they'll you know indicate as such but um they announced as we're recording this today uh their november slate for 2021 which includes films like citizen kane and menace to society which are going to be 4k uh uhd releases from them is so- that why they just put a giant k on
0: citizen kane's front for 4k
1: yeah i think that that is probably one of of the worst covers that they've ever released, especially for a film as iconic as that. Like Watch them release Mank down the line, and they make a really lovely cover for that instead. (laughs) Um, But they also announced uh, in a press release from last week that – films to follow will be movies like uh The Red Shoes and A Hard Day's Night um and Mulholland Holland uh, drive and and things like that. So uh, well Mulholland Drives this month actually and and or November specifically no- it was announced. They announced it for November, yeah. So I'm very excited to have to purchase things for a third time (laughs) for for a second time (laughs) okay uh in terms of blu-ray because did you were you a big dvd criterion guy too yeah i mean i had i had a lot of them until they started going into blu-ray and then and then did you replace your dvds or did
0: you so now are you going to replace your blu-rays no 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 no
1: no 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 no. so like i do with my blu-rays i still have my blu-rays but I have my 4Ks at top, and yeah, but do you you do double dip, right, or triple dip if you bought a DVD, right? Yes, but well, I've sold most of my DVDs. The only DVDs I have left are ones that don't have a Blu-ray upgrade but with when it comes to the blu-rays i'm not going to get rid of them for the 4k upgrade i'm going to keep but you are
0: going to buy them so yes
1: yeah okay um fair
0: uh why why keep both because this will come with a blu-ray copy it will
1: but you never know you know i just i just like the aesthetic of having sort of the blu-ray with the blu-rays and i'm going to have a 4k section for the 4k's sure sure don't ask I mean, don't ask I, I i don't have any method i just it. i'm, I'm just glad crazy. like i don't
0: have that many criterions but like i will get a few things when they when they come in 4k like i i haven't bought mulholland drive and i i do want it so i i probably will pick that up in 4k
1: well the one um, i'm really curious about to see what it would look like on 4k is the red shoes because powell and pressburger like if you look at the red shoes or if you look at Black narcissist, or you know, you look at something that is or the tales of Hoffman, their their color palette is so vibrant and so bright that like it kind of would be really great to see. You know, a top quality version of one of their films play at the highest rate possible, and see what that looks like on on a screen. Well, and just Criterion is so good with their transfers, right? Already, just in you know
0: they do four K transfers in ten eighty p, right? Where now they'll actually be in their full four K, and they're doing them from camera scans, or I mean, sorry, the uh, film reel scans and and stuff like that, where it should be the literally the best version that you could possibly get for a lot of these movies. So um yeah, which I is c- also going to piss
1: me win. off if they start like double dipping on stuff that was more recent like if they do and like because I, like ha, I have parasite yeah or, i have yeah. paras i have three versions of parasite right now. because parasite is in 4k there's yes. already a regular i have 4K, the 4k right? version yeah. i have the blu-ray version and then i have the criterion blu-ray version so if they decide to do a uh a four- <laughs> you'll have four
0: four versions of parasite. of parasite but i
1: mean who's who's to complain about that i mean parasite is an amazing movie oh yeah there, I have you should the buy digital, every version of it
0: i have the digital 4k of parasite which comes with the black and white version yeah. and which the black and White version is also on the criterion. Yeah. Yeah. In 1080p, though. So um, which some would argue is still better than a digital 4K, but it depends. Um, yeah, that's that's cool. Like, I'm I'm glad that they're finally doing that. It's just it does suck for, you know, I mean, but collectors are gonna collect, right? You're gonna replace your uh it's better late than never, but it's kind of like,
1: oh crap, am I gonna have to like rebuy even like some of the Netflix stuff again if they decide? I mean, I don't think they'll decide necessarily to dip you know, back into something like Roma. Although I would have loved to get Roma on like the 4k version of they're going to, they will. But but I think that they will be smart about like, okay, they'll, they'll give enough distance between certain films because like you look at Mulholland drive, Mulholland drive, the Blu-ray was released, I think like at least five or six years ago. Mm-hmm. um or maybe a little maybe less time but not like it wasn't like released last year or something like that and do you think this will just be the standard moving forward where they or do you think well they, they, I, they'll I, be releasing regular blu-rays as well because, as well yeah like, you're looking to coincide but. you look at the list like there's some stuff that's just on blu-ray like it just depends if maybe the scan or if the 4k version is available and ready um right for them right. to to kind of get into re-scanning, it but they're
0: scanning like usually with criteria they they don't always rescan and do a new transfer, right? But no. a lot of the times they do, or no?
1: Yeah, well, a lot of the times they will. I mean, this is a like this is something that I would actually be curious to reach out to Criterion mm-hmm. and because um, I have their their contact info and see if we could get mm-hmm. them on for a sh- like a, a conversations in November and like do a quick yeah. kind of talk about that in terms of the restoration process. But I remember with like the Apu trilogy you know, they actually kind of helped pay for some of the restoration of the film and not that it was a 4K scan, but they had to kind of look at a lot of damaged film stock that was burnt in a fire in a warehouse. Yeah, because a lot of the times they have like, some of this
0: stuff wasn't archived properly. Exactly. And, stuff, right? and that's why so, you have people
1: like Martin Scorsese always talking about yeah. film preservation because a lot of these older movies are, you know, prints on nitrate film and nitrate film is so temperamental. And, you know, if there's a fire, you know, in, in, in a building mm. and they're in that building, they're gonna go up in flames I mean, so quickly. It gets too hot. Yeah. Just, they
0: explode. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's intriguing. I'm I'm definitely, um, uh, I, I hate, like, it's. I agree with you that stuff that came out years ago. Then I mean, of course, like 4Ks are only. I mean, we've had 4Ks for a while, but I wish they jumped on this bandwagon. Not even bandwagon. This format a little bit earlier, but um, it is what it is. Like I'm glad that they're finally doing it, and then um, I'm just Eric. You're gonna have to do this again when 8K TVs come out, and uh, <laughs> it's the cycle of it's the cycle of a collector's hey, life. Hey, if you if you guys keep it alive then you know what you'll single-handedly keep physical media alive by buying these movies three four times then hey uh, you're doing you're accomplishing something i guess so, yeah um i don't know if we get to 8k and physical media is still around i don't know but um i think boutique labels like criterion will always be there i just don't know if mass Mass versions. Of, we've had this conversation before too. I don't know if you're going to get, you know, fucking point out a movie behind you. Like, I don't know. if You probably Disney get limited or brothers that's, Is like, yeah, that's
1: what will probably happen. Where it's like, oh, we have, you know, one thousand prints of this pre-order it, and we'll yeah. print
0: as many as you guys order, and after that, there's only going to be x amount
1: available, and then it's fucking gone. Like, yeah. it's yeah. unfortunately you going to go Disney to eBay to, and spend vault. like two hundred dollars on a yeah. on a Blu-ray that actually only worth nine ninety nine.
0: Because I mean, there's a separate conversation before. people barely w- we're seeing with box office um, receipts that people barely if it's available in streaming, they, you know, the drop off drop off is so huge in the theater. And mind you, there's COVID, the Delta variant, all this stuff that goes into that. Well, but even the release think, of
1: Blu-rays in 4Ks during <laughs> the pandemic has been a little bit strained, especially on like the Disney side of things where there's been little fanfare or, or announcements of like, oh, yeah, this is coming to. Uh, physical media on this day, it's just kind of almost like a couple weeks beforehand. It's like they'll release, you know, a, a, a press, press release, and, but it yeah. won't be anything like major because it used to be like, oh, this is, and maybe that's partly because of Disney Plus, but like, you know, that's what it is, man.
0: It's the streaming thing, and like, it we're seeing that that's how people want to consume. It's almost media, like they're keeping right? it
1: under the radar, being like, it's we killing don't physical media and theaters. <laughs> yeah,
0: <laughs> so I don't know. We'll see. Um Moving on, uh, you want to do a little TIFF talk before we get into our topic of the show, which is going to be some subscription services. So, um, while I was away, TIFF uh, announced a few more uh, things. So, they unveil- unveiled the platform program, shortcuts, some special events, as well as some satellite screenings and the primetime lineup, correct? Yes. Did we cover platform last episode? No. No. No, no, no. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, so, Tiff Talk 2021. This is our what volume three, four, four, I think. Um, so it was announced. Riz Ahmed is going to be the
1: head of the jury. Uh, correct. Yes, Whitney. and so it's also interesting to worth or worth noting that um, you know Sound of Metal played in uh, the platform section back in 2019. Uh, Riz Ahmed also has a film that he stars in uh, Encounter. Uh, which is an alien invasion movie from the director of beast uh, playing at the festival that is through Amazon. And then on top of that, uh, he's also a producer and does the English dub uh, for flea. So right. he's, are they
0: showing the English dub or the original? That
1: is a very good question. And that is or something both. we should check because I feel yeah. like that is going to be something that people should know before going to watch that. And maybe they they'll play watch both
0: and they'll say which the version subtitled version yeah. instead. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Uh, so the platform program is Arthur Rambo, Drunken Birds, Earwig, Who Does Salon, uh, uh, Mlungu's Wham, Mlungu Wham, um, Good Madam is the English, uh, translation there. Which I think uh,
1: actually Peter, uh, Capaldi,
0: um. Kaplowski?
1: Kaplowski. Kapaldi. What am I saying? <laughs> Peter actor, Kapaldi. Peter Kapaldi from, uh, <laughs> Peter Kaplowski, um. Sorry, I was looking at like an ad for Suicide <laughs> on the, side of the screen um he is actually he actually selected uh that movie or or had okay. some influence on that because I saw that the Midnight Madness Twitter account was sort of really emphasizing that movie
0: okay, cool uh montana story uh Silent Land and uni um, cool yeah. uh, anything stand out to you there other than that? Read Eric?
1: earwig Matt read the synopsis. Oh, okay. I don't
0: have it open in front of me. I just have the press release, which i they used to put the descriptions in uh the, the press, press release earwig tiff twenty twenty one that's the year that we're in um, as i stall uh, okay a b c d I wish when I just searched it on Google here it is um earwig, a young girl with ice cubes for teeth. Begins a mysterious journey and director Lucille. Oh my god, why are you making me read this, Eric? You don't Uh, have to read the director's name, it's the director of evolution. Uh, Lucille Hadjilavokovic, uh, I butchered that. Halilovic, a hallucinatory, haunting, and beautiful film. So she has ice cubes for teeth. Um, okay, I'm I'm excited, not what I was expecting, but I'm down um nevis would be able to maybe help me with uh this person's last name there's always uh, i know uh, uh, i sees and with each like um that's a croatian thing but also an eastern europe thing but um cool i'm i'm down for that man i'm down uh going into the uh bu- 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 we don't need to read all the shorts i'm sorry everyone but there's a lot of them um If there's anything that stands out, we will let you know in our TIFF preview show after I go through everything. Because if I read all that, then whoo So they announced what they're doing with the IMAX screenings of Dune. So Dune is a special event. They announced all their special events in this uh, press release as well. So uh, on September 11th, there will be a world-exclusive IMAX special event um and then on the 12th uh there was going to be a repeat imax screening and then on the 18th there will be a public imax screening so i don't know why that is the only one listed as public um i I don't know what the difference are the first two not open to the public it's a good question man maybe not i don't know uh uh, either way, and then there, they also announced that they're doing a special IMAX screening of Dune in Montreal presented by Bell at the Scotiabank uh, in Montreal on Sunday, September 12th. So that's pretty dope. Like TIFF kind of uh, having an, ele- uh, an element in Montreal. So you'll be able to, if you live in Montreal, see Dune on the 12th, possibly. I'm sure the tickets will be very hard to get. Um, and then they're also going to... Um, screen it on the 13th of September at the Scotiabank IMAX. So those other screenings are at the Cinesphere on the 11th, the 12th and the 18th, uh, on the 13th, there will be a screening at Cineplex, uh, Scotiabank theater IMAX. So for, four screenings of Dune, which is, more than I thought there were, was going to be because I thought this was just going to be a one night only kind of thing. Well, and then it's, it's another in the prune, Montreal, right? Thing.
1: Like it's it yeah. is a preview of Dune, and you can kind of see that. Like it, it will be playing also uh, at Venice, yeah, um, a week before or so. Yeah, yeah, you can definitely see that Warner Brothers does want as much buzz on this film yeah. and writing on this movie as they possibly can. Seems like they're very confident, right? But at the same time, they also are being cautious because of the expense that this movie yeah. has sort of uh made over the last year and a half right like the, like this is an over almost over 200 million dollar movie and again it's a weird sci-fi film so the concept is not necessarily commercial uh mm-hmm. so I'm, I'm hopeful for it and i, and I do want to see dune part two happen but um you know it all depends on how this one does so you can really tell that that Warner Brothers is pushing on this as hard as they possibly can
0: yeah absolutely and then they announced three more films in the special event program uh which is a new well i know they've always kind of had special events but i'm oh full details on the events that will complement these screenings will be announced in the uh, upcoming weeks cuz i was i was asking you through text like what makes these different than putting them into gala. Are they only or in special, person? They might be. That's what I think. So um, so we have a hero. Uh, we have Memoria and Spencer uh, announced a special uh, event film. So I'm assuming that they are, that's what my theory was, is that Dune, a hero, Memoria, and Spencer will all be in-person only screenings, which is why they put them in, in a separate, Program to differentiate and make it easier for audiences to understand that those aren't the mo- those are movies that aren't available to stream at home. Where I think everything else previously announced is probably going to be available on the digital platform.
1: Right, which I I do think the one film in that quartet that's a little bit strange that it would be a. Th- theatrical only not to say the quality but in terms of its distributor is amazon is the ashkar for film a hero being Mm. an amazon release and that Mm. only being in person where i kind of understand memoria and spencer uh quite a bit more in terms of them kind of especially spencer because i say
0: memoria it's memoria
1: memoria yeah my bad um so, I, I do kind of. I'm a little bit like, oh, that's that's strange. Is that-
0: Spencer not a streaming movie? Is it? Who has
1: it? Well, it's Neon and Elevation Pictures oh, in Canada. Okay. Yeah, right, and it's right, the right, right. Princess right. Diane, uh, sort of day in a yeah, life yeah. movie. Yeah, with Kristen Stewart. Yeah. And right. that's also playing yep. Venice. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. So it's interesting that they say full details on the events. Like they're making them a bigger thing with like Dune is an IMAX, but I don't know how you, maybe one of these is playing on film. Yeah. Maybe that's it. Like or yeah, sponsored I see. by
1: Butterfinger. <laughs>
0: yeah. Butterfinger presents a hero. <laughs> <laughs> God. Um, yeah. So I, I don't know, but um, it's interesting. Um, maybe, like I said, they're shown on 70 millimeter. I could see maybe, you know, one of them doing that maybe, or, uh, I don't know what the hell else would be the special event around them, but that's, uh, interesting. Um, so that is that press release. Let's go into, um, they also are giving, uh, Benedict Cumberbatch, um, a, uh, TIFF tribute award um so is he in uh what's he in at the festival he's
1: in two year? movies he's in the power yeah, of the Dark, which dog is i think playing most of the fall festival yeah. circuit which is a netflix movie by jane campion uh and then you and have then the electric life of louis, louis uh, wayne uh, uh, wayne. Uh, wayne yeah um cool. she has a sweet mustache oh does he nice love it loved it loved which to is see an amazon it. movie as well
0: nice um so Also, Tiff announced uh, the Forgiven and Julia are joining the festival lineup. Uh, The Forgiven joining Gala and
1: Julia uh, joining the Tiff Docs program. Yeah, so the Julia Childs uh, documentary, um, which Sony Pictures Classics has in the US and Mongrel Media has here. Um, And then the Forgiven is the Rafe Finds Jessica Chastain uh, star, which is focus features and universal which was kind of the surprise film it kind of popped up right before uh the announcements or or with little fanfare and you know like it it, it took a minute for people to to be like oh jessica chastain because she's also receiving uh, an award tiff at, at tiff as award, well yeah. um with the eyes of tammy Faye. and people are like oh this this movie you know is is also playing you know from the director of the guard the brendan gleason movie so
0: right okay cool yeah. Uh, Tiff also announced that there will be um, some Canadian satellite screenings. So uh, they're calling them the coast to coast screenings. Are um, new this year? Audiences around Tiff's own community, yeah. Tiff coast to coast screening. So uh, screenings will take place simultaneously on Monday, September 13th, uh, at 7 p.m. Uh, local time. So uh, in uh, Galaxy Cinemas Moose Jaw, you can see Charlotte. In, uh, Summerside, you can see the electrical life of Louis, Vain, uh, Wayne, <laughs> Vane Wayne, um, uh, in Markham, you can see I'm your man, uh, in, uh, St. John, New Brunswick and Collingwood, Ontario. You can see night Raiders and in, uh, Prince Rupert, British Columbia, you can see official competition. Uh, so that's pretty cool. Um, I wonder if this stuff will happen moving forward as well. Like I know they'd have their film circuit program that they do year round where they kind of have people in these smaller communities, uh, get kind of some of the smaller festival films that might not play at their, you know, theaters usually. Um, but it's cool that they're actually having this as part of TIFF for a one night only thing.
1: Yeah. I, I think that this is, is adding, um, an interesting new sort of layer because the other thing that we should mention, you know, with the New York film festival announcing their slate, they have committed to an in-person uh, festival experience only. So there will be no digital aspect because Matt and I were looking into possibly applying for accreditation to catch yeah. things like. I'm Paul at that. Cause Benedetta, right.
0: Re- recheck their press site because I don't know if he was confused at my question of if like, if that was a public thing or is there a digital element for press but yeah they did announce that it's all in person
1: yeah, yeah w- and and i think most of the fall festivals this year venice telluride are kind of in person only and obviously they're taking the necessary precautions so is tiff uh with health and safety but tiff is still kind of the one festival that is is keeping up with the hybrid um style and so is Sundance I mean Sundance obviously is not a fall festival but it is interesting that they did announce that they too will continue into the new year with uh the hybrid aspect of having both in person and uh, online which I think is a very good thing to do and doesn't I cheapen agree, the yeah. experience of the festival all overall it actually exposes it to more people and gives you a wider range of criticism that otherwise you wouldn't get
0: accessibility is always a good thing and i think that it if you want to go see it in person even if everything goes back to normal i think that option will always be there for you right but like i'm always for more options for people to experience the festival especially if they can't you know financially get to toronto or can't get the time off work or you know any a plethora of reasons like there's people all over canada that have never been able to experience tiff so now doing these kind of in-person screenings across the country. And then as well as um, doing, you know, a digital aspect, which I hope they continue. um, And who knows when things go to quote unquote normal, if that will happen. And we're seeing in the U S even though the Delta variant continues to, you know, wreak havoc, (coughs) excuse me. um, Places are switching to in-person only. So I, I appreciate that TIFF does have that option. So Uh, In primetime, they announced that we are getting Colin in black and white, uh, Hellbound, the Panthers, and sort of. Um, I'm not familiar with much of this other than the Colin Kaepernick and Ava DuVernay uh,
1: show. Um, With Nick Offerman as his uh, adopted dad. Is it? Yeah, you didn't know that? No. Okay, cool. Yeah, I feel like primetime is the one slot that hasn't panned out Uh, for TIFF, yeah, uh, you know, like the, the, the one category that is missing here that, um, I don't know if they'll, they'll add it, you know, with the, with the scheduling, because there's obviously, you know, last minute films that get thrown in as well when, when you get the schedule, but, um, the one category that's missing here, uh, out of all of these announcements in in the last few weeks, is the Masters category. There's
0: usually so we're probably still getting that, I assume.
1: Yeah, because there's usually that grouping of like you know international and national filmmakers that kind of make up like you know the best of the best. And I would have thought. You know, the Verasithaku movie, Memoria would have been in that been in grouping, that, yeah. you know? Um, usually it's someone like – it's reserved for people like Michael Haneke or Terrence Malick. And it's – yeah, again, like the quote-unquote sort of uh, highbrow filmmakers.
0: Yeah, so what do – you, do you think that there some stuff that isn't announced that could show up there or – Yeah, I mean, it,
1: again, the other one that I would have thought that would have made it into that category is is – the Farhadi I think I think here like he is in that group of of like you know the best international filmmakers working and you know after a separation it kind of felt like he basically wrote his ticket for any festival to put his movie in in a sort of top tier spot and so a, a hero to me especially after the reception at God at Cannes feels like something that would have been perfect for for that group um or that program. Um, and then I, I think it's also worth noting that like, if we're looking at some of the movies that aren't playing are that are noticeable, um, you, you have some stuff from a 24 that, you know, like Sean Baker's Red Rocket that yeah. you know played and got really great reviews. It hasn't shown up at any festival anywhere right. in the Fall Festival yeah. slate. And it is scheduled for twenty twenty one on the on the website. But then also another thing that I tweeted out yesterday, uh, Pleasure is a film that, you know, you would think would be reintroduced into the Fall Festival lineup somewhere. And and maybe if it was a a, a normal year or in the before times, it would play um but it's not even on the A twenty four website anymore, which I think is is kind of interesting, and um, mm. I wonder if there, like, I don't know if there was maybe some falling out or a discussion because the film is very. I mean, having reviewed the film and, and and watched it during Sundance, it's very explicit, and to me, thinking like, what an R rated cut of that movie would be. Theatrically, does Because you
0: have to assume it would be NC seventeen?
1: Yes, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Y- you can't get around it, I don't think, and that's that's the hard part about that. It's like I almost feel like a movie like Pleasure would probably be better suited for like movie Mubi because movie is a place that would play that uncut. It wouldn't. It wouldn't hesitate to play the film do as. You think is. it goes to
0: Apple with the you know their deal with h. But do you think Apple like though
1: is is too like? It almost seems like it's it's weirdly like a Blonde situation, graphic, right? Because yeah. that's the other thing where like the rumors with Blonde, uh, Andrew Dominic's was, movie – It was going to do the fall festival circuit. But yeah, then... or it was – like it, like uh, Terry Fremo actually even yeah. saw it, um, one of the can programmers. And even though obviously it wasn't going to play because it's a Netflix movie, but he was saying that he saw it and he really liked the movie. But what people are saying about the film is that it, it – Netflix doesn't like it because it's basically an esoteric NC 17 rated movie. Um, And, and very sexually graphic, they said. Yeah. And, and you would think that, like, if anybody was going to release a film like that, I mean, they, they, they have Gaspar Noé's love on, on plenty of their, um, you know, their right. streaming services around the world. I don't think, yeah, like it's, it's weird to me that that's what they're
0: hung up on, but that, that maybe they just thought it would be a more traditional Oscar player. Right. right. I guess, but you'd think someone there read
1: the script or like, maybe he or just seen andrew know. dominic's yeah. other movies because yeah. <laughs> they're never really like like if you look at killing them softly or or chopper like they're never exactly what you're expecting or the assassination of of jesse james by the coward robert ford like yeah they have mm-hmm. commercial elements and maybe the cast but ultimately like just because you have brad pitt in your movie doesn't necess- like i mean the tree of life is that perfect example or just because brad pitt's in your movie doesn't necessarily mean it's a brad pitt movie yeah right? <laughs> yeah yeah no i, I Feel you there, so and David Lowry um, was actually even talking about that. I was listening to um, the King podcast when he was talking about um, Mike Flanagan's script for the unproduced uh, revival adaptation, and he was saying that for that story if he were to make it which is about this uh priest who is hellbent on finding out whether or not there's an afterlife he would cast Brad Pitt because he could get the financiers and the studio to back a film as weird as that story is and as as nihilistic as that movie is if he if he had Brad Pitt in the, in in the lead role because he's still quote unquote a movie star and one of the few left that you can sell a film just based on the name and you don't have to really look twice at what the material is. Right, and I highly right. recommend people go and listen to that uh interview because there's some really great stuff on uh The Green Knight as well where Lowry talks about like his influences on it and specifically like the scenes with the giants being sort of a reference to both Prometheus and uh, the alien universe specifically. A lot of Prometheus during that with the space scene, yeah. jockey stuff and the like he also said that like the one movie he wants to make because all of his films are like fairy tales he wants to make a horror movie and he kind of sold me on his Peter Pan film which he said his pitch to Disney was what if Peter Pan was the revenant uh <laughs> yeah so so okay yeah. i'm into that i love that um all right, I think
0: that concludes Tiff Talk 2021. Uh we'll move on. I don't think there was any trailers, were there Eric over the last week?
1: Uh, I don't um,
0: think so, but uh I'm trying to think if there's any TV trailers or movie trailers. Um we did so many last week that I'm I'm sure it's fine if we don't do any trailers this week. And some of it might have been repeat stuff. Like there's obviously new Shang-Chi teasers because the tickets went on sale today and which i gotta like say the um, imax
1: poster is way is better. awful than... oh i'd like i, liked I it thought more. it was awful i liked it more than the like i'm starting to get a little bit sick of the of the floating head,
0: head kind thing. of thing yeah the disney marvel posters have been like that since iron man one i agree with that i just felt like the the iron man uh, sorry the um the IMAX one just looked messy or muddy to me. Like, I just, I don't know. I thought it looked ugly, but that's my bad. Then if you uh, liked it. I kind of liked it because it it
1: does feel like a 1970s exploitation poster, like the bright kind of red, vivid kind of quality of of the background. Like, it feels like something that would have been released in like the grindhouse era of of filmmaking. I'm just, maybe it's just because as well, again, like I'm just sick of like the consistency of making the same kind of poster over and over again. If you're going to do sort of subgenres or play within sort of you know these these already created worlds and do different things, why not also change up the poster design? You can always release yeah. a generic Blu-ray or DVD cover, but have fun with it. I know. And we've talked about
0: that. I think even I mean, I our sent you the poster for, Conversations, for,
1: for Prisoners of the Ghostland, which, again, not a great movie. Which is an movie, awesome poster. But an amazing but yeah. poster. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah. No, I think because you – I don't know. Unfortunately, like, art, artistic focus, like – like beautiful posters don't weirdly sell a movie right like it's it's unfortunately i'm sure there's tons of research that just shows you got to show the movie stars you got to show some of the bad guys you got to show the locations and you got to do this just to kind of give people an idea of go oh that guy's in that movie or that guy's in them or she's in the movie aquafina's in the movie or blah 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 blah, blah." yeah i don't know yeah uh, disney and marvel have never been great at movie posters they've been good Like, like you said, like afterwards where it's like you get the marketing material out of the way and then you kind of can get crazy with some of the, you know, the sub material afterwards or before, like you said, even this IMAX poster, you can get like, I didn't love it, but at least you can kind of get a little bit more creative um, doing weird things. And they've, they've gotten better at that, I will say. Yeah, uh, there's there's a rumor that uh, the Spider-Man No Way Home trailer is going to premiere at CinemaCon next week, but it won't be available to the public. That's funny. Um, I'm sure someone there, will write
1: about it though, or leak oh, a copy of it <laughs>
0: uh, at the Cinema Convention. I don't know, like Cinema Owners Convention. I know press can go. So um, if they go, I mean, I mean we, again, that's another thing that's still up in the air. There, where like a, a lot, lot of people, people are mad that they're doing it in person. Right? Yeah, that you're making everyone go to Las Vegas, which is like hotbed yeah <laughs> fucking covid and also disney's oh. not going
1: that's the other thing that's worth noting about cinema yeah, but sony is yes. so it's like yeah it's it, weird but sony um, does its own thing you know <laughs>
0: um let there be yeah. carnage
1: <laughs> that's sony's it's new model little, little smoochy
0: boys um no uh i didn't yeah there was a prisoners of the ghostland trailer you guys can just check out our review of that um and nothing super of note so we'll wait until next week to talk trailers um eric i got out of the bathroom so um monologue for everyone talk about something talk about um uh your delicious buffalo chicken sandwich you had for lunch i don't know talk about something all right I'll, I'll i'll, I'll right go back.
1: more into the david lowry podcast i i think <laughs> yeah, it's actually worth that. <laughs> noting um, as you, want, I, you sure
0: you don't want to talk about your buffalo chicken sandwich? No,
1: it's it, it wasn't as memorable. Um, it was fine. Uh, the Royal Oak is a solid little pub, but you know nothing worth uh, sort of writing home about. But going back into the uh, the the KingCast podcast, um, it was really great to hear. David Lowry talk about the Green Knight in, in such detail and sort of he kind of sees the film and, and this is tongue in cheek as well, a little bit, but he sees the Green Knight weirdly as his comedy where a lot of his films from a ghost story to Pete's Dragon, you know, he considers them to be, uh, the tearjerkers of, of, uh, his filmography. And when he was talking about sort of the making of and, and sort of like, looking at certain scenes like the uh, Aaron Kellyman sequence and the idea of him doing a full on horror movie uh, is really exciting. And he also wanted to option another um, Stephen King adaptation or a short story to at- to adapt called uh, the jaunt, which actually also sounds uh, really amazing. And one of the few short stories of Kings I haven't read Um Uh, But they're turning that now into a series because the rights, when they became available, um, Lowry was busy working on uh, Peter Pan. And it was funny because he also mentioned that, you know, during the recording of the King cast, um, he had a couple skeletons from – the Peter Pan movie, so you know that this Peter Pan film is going to be pretty dark and weird. Uh, I just which, jumped
0: in skeletons and yeah. Peter Pan. This is uh, the Untitled Movie Podcast, your number one podcast of people describing other podcasts.
1: <laughs> hey, man! I mean, you talk about kind of funny all the time. I talk. I know, about I, film I'm joking. Junk, I'm joking. You know?
0: I know. That's. I mean, that's what we do. We it just. It was a really good
1: of- podcast in terms of like getting some insight on the Green Knight, but also coming from the point of view of talking about another sort of prolific artist author type. And I really do like, I feel David Lowry would be so perfect to make a Stephen King adaptation. And like I was saying before, you know, you got back, he was trying to option the rights to another, uh, short story because Mike Flanagan was the one who was trying to get revival made and Josh Boone before that. Um, he was trying to get a story made called the jaunt, um which is this weird kind of sci-fi uh, sort of thriller. um but it's getting turned into a TV series now. and yeah. they were saying that like the the hosts um and and David Lowry were basically saying like there's no way you can sort of extend that into a series. Like there's just no way to do that without diluting the storyline and so lowry had been trying to get that the rights to that project for over like 10 years and it finally was available but when it was available like he needed to start working on it in pre-production like as soon as it became available and when it did was when he started working on peter pan so he lost the rights then Um, but he says that he does want to do a horror movie next and like the films that he talked about growing up with really excite me because it's all like the early eighties kind of horror films that you would expect from somebody who probably grew up at that period of coming of age. Yeah, um, that's so fun. if yeah. he does do a horror movie, because I was saying green Knight for him, the way that he sees the green Knight, he sees it as a comedy and he okay. sees uh, a ghost story and Pete's dragon is tear jerkers. But he said that yeah. the green Knight was his first attempt at a comedy. Yeah. <laughs> God bless him.
0: He's amazing. I, I can't wait. And a horror movie would be dope from him. Um, I'm absolutely into that. Um, other tidbit from my vacation. Um, this is regular Coke Zero, but I tried new Coke Zero, Eric.
1: Um, well, you also tried um, <laughs> uh, Flamin' Hot uh, Pasta. I haven't tried it yet. Oh, you so haven't? I bought, no, I bought, I bought
0: two boxes of Cheetos mac and cheese. <laughs> um, one is a jalapeno cheddar flavor and the other is Flamin' Hot and uh i was i might make them for dinner after this or one of them um i'm still like i i took the week off on my eating healthy or eating healthier Um, because you're on vacation yeah like i lost 10 pounds and then i went on this vacation i gained 2.5 pounds because i just ate like crap all week um which whatever it's fine I'll, i'll lose it again but um Two two things of note. Yes, I bought Cheetos mac and cheese. I have not tried it yet. Um, I know they've been available in the US for a while, but they're finally here in Canada. And I will try every crappy collaboration or gimmick that you throw at me. I will try it at least once. Um, Then I bought a case of Coke Zero. And I opened this case of Coke Zero. And it looks like a regular, you know, the black box with the red or whatever, Coke Zero. And to my shock were the new red cans of Coke zero that with the big new logo. And it was the new formula of Coke zero. And I was like me loving trying new garbage is like, hell yeah, I get the new Coke zero. I want to try
1: this. And the ingredients um, say nothing organic.
0: <laughs> no, God, it's just chemicals for sure. Um, I have a headache and I took two of Tylenol with a Coke zero. And ironically, it's probably the Coke zeros chemicals giving me the headache.
1: Well, I mean, the um, caffeine might help a little bit.
0: Oh yeah, I'm a caffeine fiend at this point. Um so new Coke Zero, my hot take is I like it. Cool. It um it to me tastes closer to like the the premise of Coke Zero was always it's supposed to taste more like regular Coke than diet Coke, right? I like that it has a P- premise. <laughs> People, dude, I'm a, I love soda. The I narrative love of this Coke. Soda pop and Coca-Cola. My dad is like, I've never seen a, a man uh, He's drink as much Coca-Cola. Man. Yeah. Like his diet is insane. And for some, somehow he is, 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 you know, knock on wood healthy. He goes for um, blood work.
1: It's like, um, Mike, it's just, it's just, <laughs> it's just, uh, your, your blood work came back. It's just Coca-Cola.
0: He has like, literally like two to three cokes a day like full sugar cokes um and i have maybe one to two coke zeros a day like um but anyways I, I used to drink normal coke but um new coke zero uh doesn't taste that much different but it does to me taste more like regular coke i feel like people who love coke zero will probably be mad that they changed it because people just get mad that they change things that they like uh but even for me like i love coke zero and i like this new one I'm like I'm into this. I think this tastes good. So, well, here's okay. a question: How long can they call
1: it New Coke Zero for?
0: Mm. It's not technically. I think they're trying to get away from New Coke Zero because the New Coke fiasco of the what, 80s was that. Um, remember they changed the formula of normal Coke in the 80s and called it New Coke. Do you remember this? Um,
1: Slightly. I remember clear yeah, Pepsi know, and Coke. I know Do you remember Tome, that when it was Crystal cleared? Pepsi. Crystal? Yeah,
0: Chris, Crystal Pepsi. Yeah. Um, Anyways, uh there's just like a little logo that says Isn't new it and it's Sprite just at gonna that be point? <laughs> Crystal Pepsi. I had Sprite Zero and that at that point I'm like, such a s should I just get slime soda water at that point? Like, <laughs> like, why do I need a bunch of aspartame in it or whatever? And um then my mom, God bless her, uh, I'm like, Can you pick me up some more Coke Zero uh on your way up to the cottage? Cause I'm almost out because I was just chugging this shit. Um, and she showed up with two cases of caffeine-free Coke Zero, and I was like, "Oh no, Matt, your at dad that drank point, half of it." <laughs> at, at that point, caffeine-free Coke Zero, I'm like, "What's the point? Why? It's like decaf coffee. Like, like what's- you're either." decaf coffee i just like the taste of coffee and maybe you oh. just like the taste
1: of coke zero oh i like um, the taste of coke yeah but i don't like yeah, but i don't like the taste of coffee at that
0: point i'm like you're just ingesting chemicals you're not getting any of the sugar or the caffeine that you would normally <laughs> the, the, the nutrients like, like yeah <laughs> the drugs that you're trying to get out of a soda you're not getting either of them so i'm like i guess it's like i put both cases i didn't drink any of it but i brought it home and i'm like i threw it in my fridge and i'm sure it'll be the soda i offer people when they come to visit now just to try to get rid of it so anytime you I always want to come like, over now and wanna... watch
1: candy man with uh, you maybe we'll do that tomorrow because i was thinking of yeah. watching that offer me a coke zero
0: yeah you can have a caffeine free coke zero i don't have any Ugh, new Coke zero gross. anymore. it sounds like and an I oxymoron I still have... And I still have old Coke Zero, like the normal Coke Zero regular in my fridge here. So See,
1: um, I would I would pay for at least sort of a, a bottle or, or a couple you know, cans of of if if they called it Old Coke Zero, literally if they called it Old Coke Zero, <laughs> and M Night Shyamalan yeah. was on the on the
0: bottle. Yeah, sure, I'm gonna keep one can so I can do a taste test of when I get new Coke Zero again. Um, maybe it's only at the Midland Walmart that I went to. I have no idea.
1: Um, and will they ever but, do nude Coke Zero? Well, that's what I am right now.
0: Uh, no, I'm not. Um, I'm wearing a nice tank top. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Uh, I took off my free cineclub sweater. Yeah. Transition. Gross. Um. Oh, so the one thing I did want to talk about uh, on the news before we wrap up, which will be our final topic of the show, uh, both Cineplex and um, Landmark. Landmark announced uh, subscription services that are essentially the same. Uh, slight differences because at Landmark there are a couple free options and things like that. Uh, so Cineplex announced um, CineClub. So for nine ninety nine a month, you can sign up for CineClub and you get one movie ticket every month. And they never expire. So I guess if you don't use them in a month, you can carry over and have two tickets for the next month or whatever. Um, then you get Club price tickets. So you can purchase additional tickets for yourself uh, if you want to see more than one movie a month or if you're bringing a guest with you uh, for $9.99. Um, and then you get 20% off concessions as well as uh, there's some other th- benefits as well. Um, you can get 20% off uh, outtakes and VIP. You get scene points, obviously, uh, and you get 20% off uh, the Rec Room and Palladium, which are their other things we've talked about that they have that are not necessarily movie-related. And then you get 10% off uh, all purchases and rentals at the Cineplex store. And before we talk about this, let's, let's go into what Landmark is offering. So Landmark has f- three tiers that you can join all offering different things. So movie fan is essentially like a scene program there. So it's free, but you earn five points for each $1 spent on movie purchases and you can redeem those points for tickets, concessions merchandise and things like that. Yeah. Um, Then they have movie insider. So that's $20 a year and you get one free movie per year. Um, as well as 50% more points on admission and concessions for the movie fan program. And then they have a third tier, which is essentially the same as Cineplex's Cine Club, which is called Movie Club. Um, and then Movie Club is $9.99 a month. You get one free admission, one free, you get one admission per month um as well as additional companion admissions at discounted rates they don't list them here i assume it's also 9.99 um and then they also have um uh, you get Points on all admissions and concessions, just like the other ones, and then 20% discount at concessions, which is the exact same as Cine Club. So Eric, I wanted to talk about, you know, subscription services coming to Canada, theatrical subscription services coming to Canada. Cause we've we've known of these before. You can uh, finally cancel was,
1: your Cinemia
0: card, uh, Matt. Yeah. <laughs> I'll remember that. Yep. That we had that. That no, was you wild. Had that. <laughs> Oh, you didn't do it. I no, didn't. I didn't.
1: As soon as you said
0: that it was that like from was Romania, like, I was like, no, "It was you. so weird." That I is forgot sketchy. about that. It was sketchy, but it you know it worked. Like it was just some weird ass thing that you had to do. Like, um, well, before I, you money, got to
1: the movie, like you had to like like upload something or like. Sort you of took select a photo a t- of your
0: ticket, yeah. I
1: think, and then they reimbursed you, or you used the
0: card or something there like it was that cinema was bizarre and thank you for bringing
1: that up i forgot about that so it was around the same time it was around the same time as as movie movie pass movie pass and like the idea that america was trying to you know compete netflixify yeah with streaming services and that was only really when Netflix was around, right? In terms of like the competition between the theatrical experience and um, the streaming experience. And that was also before the pandemic. So now, you know, we have multiple... Uh, more than multiple, you know, you have so many streaming services that are basically flooding uh, the market and vying for consumer um, attention, um, especially during a pandemic. And then the pandemic on top of that has also made it difficult for movie theaters to even um, make money in some instances, whether or not they're able to open Based on how regions are doing or specific areas are doing, so I think my biggest criticism for both Cineplex and Landmark uh, introducing these subscription services is it's a, situ- a case of too little, too late, where it's yeah. like this should have been introduced, um, you know, in the before times a little while. Like it just kind of feels like something that it's like a last ditch effort to you know make some money by getting people to <clears throat> subscribe to these memberships now and and people will obviously uh especially for cineplex because it is more of a dominant chain than landmark especially mm-hmm. out in uh the in toronto and in not in yeah, the- landmarks more in the west western canada middle canada in the and, suburbs and yeah. like you, you know like it, in ontario there's only a couple yes absolutely but but landmark is more kind of better known out west so when you go to you know british columbia and things like that they're in alberta and stuff like that um but i i feel with both of these subscriptions with you know there there is an enticing element to them it's just that it's like okay well this kind of maybe should have been introduced a little earlier than just now and it Mm -hmm. kind of almost reeks a little bit of desperation on the part of these of exhibitors to bring people back of maybe. trying to like, and also yeah. make money uh and not just going to the theater you know if you have the subscription it's it, you're, you're paying for something yearly and you know they're making money that way and and, it and just... i guess who they're really trying to get with this is not necessarily me and you because
0: they kind of assume that me and you to us this is a great deal I- i'm gonna be straight up is like not a great deal sorry it's a Perfectly okay deal because we're going to go to the movies at least once a month, more than once a month, and essentially they're going to lose money on us with us subscribing to this because we are going to use our monthly ticket and we will go multiple times and use those discounts.
1: I think well, we're also really we also to get, say that we're we're we do have a certain entitlement as being film critics and we also yeah, get sure. to see screenings for free
0: even then i'm i'm thinking not remove that we're still paying for multiple movies per month we're paying for don't breathe too yeah, and, and that's what I'm saying. Like we are the audience that will use this and use it multiple times. But I think who they're really trying to get with this are the people who only go once in a while and they're trying to convince them, "Hey, you know, for $10 a month, which is cheaper than what you would pay for, you know, one ticket." And the people who only go to the movies a couple times a year, but then you convince them to go once a month and things like that. Because like that's ultimately who you're going to make money off of. Is those people who don't go to the movies once a month, but you're convincing them that this is a good enough deal to go at least once a month. Because like and are you going to be able to convince those people? Because I feel like Uh, those people are going to be set in their ways, right? And is it a good enough deal? Because if you look at AMC A list, which is their subscription program in the US, sure it's way more money. It's like Fifteen bucks, I think, for the cheapest one, up to twenty-five dollars a month uh, on AMC A List. But you get three movies per week on any format and stuff, depending on what one you get. So you get at least twelve movies a month if you really want to take advantage of it. Um, and sometimes even Movie Pass, when it was there, it was unlimited. So like, when you come in and you go, it's ten dollars a month, you get one ticket. You're saving. You know, if you live in a big market, you're saving. What $4 a ticket uh, on one ticket, and then you're saving, you know, on subsequent tickets $4 a ticket. So you are saving money. So it's not a bad deal, but when you compare it to something like an AMC A list or a one of the subscription services, an Alamo Drafthouse Unlimited, and, and stuff like that in the US, even if they're a little bit more money those seems like better deals to me because I can go as many times as I want and it feels like a true subscription service. To this, it just feels like I'm committing to going to one movie a month with you and I'm not saving all that much money. It's just like, all right, yeah, I do go to the movies once a month, so this seems like a no-brainer. Is it a great deal? No, I don't think I'm getting like that much value because I feel like the scene card used to get me 20% off on concessions by just signing up for free. And then you got rid of that and now you give it into a membership that, you know, I have to pay for. And then it, it's just weird stuff like that. And then a $10 ticket, you know, we're still going to have to pay extra for IMAX. You're still going to have to pay extra for, um, VIP and things like that. Um, I, yeah, I, I just, I don't know, man, like it, it seems like an okay deal, um, but I don't, yeah, applicable search, surchars applies to premium performances like 3d, 40 X, ultra AVX, IMAX, Dbox VIP screen X, um, one general admission movie ticket per month, plus up to two general admission movie tickets for nine 99 each per showtime. So per showtime, you can get two tickets, um, uh, for that. So there are some restrictions at least on the, um, on the Cineplex side of things. So like, my biggest thing is like when you compare them to the subscription services in the in the states. I think you're absolutely right that it is a little too late when we, they've already had these options in the U.S. for a while, and it, you know typical Canada jumping in two years late on things. And, and you need and to match
1: to, what you know the U.S. Yeah, has done. The value you like you can't just start. From the bottom, you have to like like if you were the first one to do it, then I could understand being like, okay, well, we can make adjustments as we go along, and you know, listen to um, you know patrons and what they have to say, and 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 kind of experiment with that, and 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 almost approach it as like a survey of of watching how you know the system works. But if you already have a model that's out there and is sort of as you mentioned with the AMC subscription. It's almost like okay. Well, you need to start there. You need to start on that level. And and again, I understand. You know, it's Canadian versus U.S., but you know, we're similar enough in terms of of that representation and and sort of wanting to go to the theater. And to your point, like, what happens if you see? You know, if you want to see. You know, again, thinking maybe more in the before times, but like five or six movies within a month. You know, and mm-hmm. and you go regularly to the theater, like every Friday mm-hmm. or every you know weekend or something like that. So, are you are you really saving money at that point where you're seeing? You
0: are a little bit, but like, wouldn't it be a much more enticing deal if you go? I'm paying twenty dollars a month, and I can see up to. You know x
1: amount of movies per week like the amc one. yeah like, and if that, i go over that no-brainer. limit i pay uh an additional fee or rate and then i can see another 10 or 50 mm-hmm. like it, not that necessarily a lot of people would probably go over that but if you do like i almost feel like i agree with you like netflix like any streaming service like you're paying for the 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 streaming service itself, you're not paying for each individual movie. I mean, that's basically like iTunes or something like that, where, you know, you're, you're, you're renting or purchasing the film, the individual movie off of the platform, instead of subscribing to the service itself, where you can pick and choose as many movies and shows as you want to watch. And there's, I mean, there's no limit obviously with Netflix because you're paying that for the subscription service. But with here,
0: that is truly a deal where like, this to me is just a, it's a discount service it's not a subscription service to me like that's what it is like it, it you're not getting any huge value here i don't think like i guess if you, know, you are uh, because say you see like you said you see two or three movies a week yeah you're going to save you know 12 dollars a week but that really when you compare it to i'm on the AMC stubs a list thing 1995 a month you can make free online reservations anytime for up to three movies in any format, including IMAX and Dolby cinema with no blackout dates and your benefits reset every Friday. And then there is a more expensive uh, version because uh, the 1995 version is only in 34 States, which ex- excludes California and New York. So if you are in California and New York, you have to do the 23.95 um uh per month membership. So even if we convert this to Canadian, which is 1995 US to Canadian. We're doing math on this show guys now. Um 1995 is $25 a month even. So say you had two options of $25 and $30 a month. Um but you gave people, you know, the three movies per week thing. To me, you're getting people like, I guess it's just like, who is the audience that they're going for? That audience is going to be the hardcore audience that wants to go to the movies all the fucking time, right? Like they're going to pay the $30 a month to have unlimited movies because they know they're going to see more than, you know, two to three movies a month in a theater. But it seems like Cineplex again, just like, you know, what multiplexes are doing is trying to hit everyone and hitting the lowest person who only goes to the movie they're just trying to convince that person who doesn't go to the movies that often, which is, again, goes back to our criticisms of why presentation sometimes isn't taken seriously or sound or, you know, projection and, and, you know, people on their phones and things like that. Cause, cause they're trying to appeal to those people that don't care about that stuff. So like even this subscription service is trying to appeal to those people to me, which is, I'm, we're in a bubble and I'm not saying like you have to appeal to cinephiles and people who care about going to the cinemas all the time, but that's really, who's going to keep you in business. Like, uh, I, uh, to me like this isn't this isn't a great this isn't super enticing like i'm not even sure if i'm going to sign up for this like and and i'm sure i will just because i'm like well fuck i go with nevis like i usually go to landmark and sometimes i go to cineplex if i want to see uh you know an imax uh movie at scotia bank in toronto but i'm I'm gonna have to pay a surcharge for that anyway and like and there are other ways you can get we get choked up again um, <laughs> it's so emotional There are other ways you can get cheap movie tickets too. Like you can go to Costco and get like a pack of movie passes. Like you can go and buy these movie passes in different ways. Like, I don't know if Cineplex is going to get rid of all that stuff because of, um, because of this but uh i'm i'm overall kind of mixed on this like i'm disappointed like if someone says hey they're announcing a movie subscription service i i thought yes finally i'm gonna be able to pay 20 bucks a month 25 bucks a month and cineplex would have gotten my money if you say you can go see a movie whenever the fuck you want
1: and it's I'm like, like Cineplex oh, is ignoring great. one group of <clears throat> filmmakers or or fi- filmmakers, film patrons or or people that go to the theater, and then trying to, as you mentioned, cast a wider net as possible. To they're trying to hit everyone, yeah. Right? And it- and there's no way of of succeeding that way. It just you can't. Like you literally, like you mentioned. I think the reason why, like even, even though Draft House is much smaller, is so successful with that is because. <laughs> they have such a loyal fan base and they know how to customize a, a subscription, um, fee I mean, mind and, you they they did go bankrupt
0: but i mean it was you know chapter 11 or whatever and they're fine like they're staying afloat right. but yeah but even
1: amc is is kind of tailoring it more towards the idea of people like, who okay, want to go a lot yes yeah. the, the the avid moviegoer where to your point like this just kind of feels it's not a deal it, it's a discount and because of that it's like i'm i'm still on that kind of fence of thinking like if 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 it was truly a, a subscription, I would contemplate it, especially on the landmark side of things. Because on the landmark side of things, I know I'm going to for for the most part, with the exception of you know maybe a more mainstream moviegoer that doesn't go all the time, it might ruin the movie experience. You can listen to our uh, escape uh, room uh, <laughs> yeah. tournament of champions uh, review, review for more on that, but. That's the thing we keep talking about Cineplex, and not that Lan- Landmark's excused from it either, but Landmark does seem to have a better sort of track record when it comes to the upkeep of projection and masking and sound and, and seats and yeah, yeah. And Cineplex is just, you know, trying to again, not just cast a wide net for, you know, subscribers, but cast a wide net in terms of just patrons in general and not just to the movie theaters. You mentioned, you know, Palladium and and all these other places that they're trying to kind of branch out to. And it just feels like they're they're not focusing on the thing that makes them them. And that is, you know, proper – technical aspects of watching a movie and making the the movie going experience that much more enjoyable it isn't about the bells and whistles of going to a restaurant before watching the movie or or playing a video game um you know it's 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 about watching the film and, and seeing it projected the right way and being in focus so it's and,
0: a better experience than watching at home right yeah, and, and that's and what will make time, you want to yeah. come
1: out again to go and see another movie and realize you that 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 the thing you're chasing is the experience, and if the experience doesn't live up to what it's being projected as, it's not. going to Or if to work. it's just kind of whatever, then yeah, it's and, just like, and for most part, not always, but a lot of cineplexes have a lot to live up to.
0: Yeah, I I agree, and and um, yeah, I just again, it's trying to. I would have even liked tiers, like have this nine ninety nine tier, and that's what I would have liked with landmark, and you can tell that you know, they're not in cahoots, but this happens with Rogers and Bell all the time too, where, you know, when one company launches something, the other company launches something almost immediately right after that is the exact same thing. Right. And it's it's almost politics, right.
1: It's, it's like just that because you know, they're, they're liberal or conservative at the end of the day, they're all sitting at the Uh, same table. You know, it's, it's, and I know of working
0: at Rogers that, you know, at least not on, you know, your side of things, but on where I was working in marketing and things like that is like, um, they're talking to each other and they know what each other are doing. Maybe not like in a sleazy way, but they just, you know what the other company is doing, which is why I think these things were announced at almost the exact same time. And and like you said, you, you just put a perfect analogy to it, but like, and it's slight
1: variations on each one, right? Where like, yeah. it's, it, there's maybe little tweaks here and there, whether it be, you know, optional tiers or think something like that. Yeah. But overall, They're still going to offer you the same thing and sometimes the thing that they offer you isn't even worth it in the long run or at least doesn't live up to what they're sort of promoting and And false advertising sometimes. I I will
0: say like this is my kind of final thought. This is more of a Costco membership thing to me than it is like a, you know, AMC A-list like – subscription service wait are you
1: saying that i'm gonna have to buy one of these things in order to just get into the damn theater because that's what costco does i know but you know what
0: i mean by like you buy a costco membership and when you go in you still have to buy crap when you're there right like to me that's what it's a discount thing and like costco you're paying because you can buy in bulk and it's supposed to be discounted because you're buying a lot of things and you can eat samples it's a they don't do that anymore but damn it um especially during now but um I just, I, I think we put it perfectly both on the Cineplex side and landmark thing. Like they feel like you're paying for a a discount card. Yeah. um And yeah, they're saying you get one free movie with that discount card. And um <clears throat> to me, that's not, you know, a subscription service. And I know they're not necessarily calling it that they're calling it a monthly membership. Like a, it is a membership, like a Costco membership. Right. But they already had the scene card for that, which I felt like kind of was that. And I remember being at Cineplex working there when, um, when scene got launched and I was part of like the employee pilot program and stuff and being so excited for just that part of it. But They've changed scenes so much over the time. And like I said, some of the stuff that they're offering here were things that they already offered with the scene card and took away from you. So that almost feels like spitting in people's faces. So now you're
1: paying for the scene card instead of getting it for free. And I actually – the one thing I will say positive about Cineplex is that when AMC was still in Canada, the scene card was a much better – um, option in terms of the, the the way that the the loyalty the point, program the loyalty yeah. program and the point system works and and sort of getting to that first free movie because the the amc card the movie watchers card um you only got a couple of points where it, it felt like you yeah. they, they were, changed it to stubs after they left right AMC yeah stubs and is, with cineplex better, but... like it did feel with you know their card you were building to getting a film a lot a free movie a lot faster
0: yeah and then in alamo season pass i'm trying to find the pricing here for it but um it's sometimes hard because we're not in uh in the u.s so certain things they don't actually give us the information on their website but again unlimited movies at alamo draft house and i would pay a good amount of money. If I can just go, I can go to the Ooh. movies whenever I want. <laughs> like, right. I, I might not even go to that many movies per month and you're getting more money. And maybe they just, I'm sure they did lots of research and they saw that, you know, what would you pay for a monthly movie membership? And then most people said $10 and then at $10, you can't give people unlimited movies. Cause then you're just, you saw what happened with movie pass and, and different things like that. Like it has to be a good amount of money. Um, But I still think like with Netflix prices going up and different things like that, like people are willing to pay upwards of $20 for a membership to something if you get good value from it. And I'll be really interested to see how this kind of works for them. And like, again, I think it's sort of a no-brainer if you do go to the movies more than once a month. So I'm not saying that like you shouldn't subscribe because if you do go to the movies more than once a month, you should subscribe to this. Like, so it's weird. Like we're being very critical, but I'm ultimately going to say like, yeah, it's,
1: it's, if it's, you just want better value for what you're, you're paying for subscribing. Yeah. And, and ultimately it kind of feels like it's just not there yet. Like this is, this is kind of underdeveloped overall and, and they should maybe go back to the drawing board and come up with something that's a little bit, there's maybe more bang that's what for your do. buck.
0: Like uh, maybe they start with this, Eric, and they uh, see how this goes. And then they see that there are people who, but if, if we're already convincing people like me and you and hardcore moviegoers to use this and buy, you know, two to three to four, More tickets per month on their thing, then why ultimately make them pay twenty five dollars a month and and go unlimited if they're already using this? But um, I don't know. I don't know. I think it is a no-brainer. Um, if you if you do go to the movies more than once a month, and you'll probably only subscribe to one of them, whether it's Cine Club or uh movie club at
1: Landmark, probably whatever you frequent most. And well, also I depending mean, on where you live, right? Live, like like yeah. again, like if you live in Toronto, there is no landmark theater in Toronto you know you you, there's one just north of toronto yeah you have uh, to venture outside of of the city though where you know if you are living in the suburbs like in the durham region where you know we currently live a you know landmark is a a viable option and and i think that is the other thing that um i i would hope that or i mean it's not going to happen but I, more competition. I, I, more competition because I think that, that Cineplex should not have the monopoly it does on, you know, major cities and and yeah. it shouldn't be the only option. Like again, landmark is there, but it's 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 not as big of a, a, a company, an exhibitor compared to Cineplex. And I think that you need to have that option.
0: Yeah, when AMC went under, it was kind of a bummer when Cineplex scooped up. Most of their theaters and and stuff in Landmark got a couple of them, or Empire got
1: a couple, it was, right? Yeah, it Empire, kept, That was the other joke. It's like, it like you know, the, certain theaters kept changing their name after AMC basically, uh, you know, when, left Canada, left Canada. Yeah. So it went from AMC to Empire to Landmark, and like you would always see the uh the the building sign taking Slightly down the change <laughs> or, or yeah. taking down the the yeah, letters, the letters, and like that like imprint that's left of, like, stain. A, yeah. Yeah, the stain. Yeah, AMC, and then you see empire and then it's like oh and like now the the landmark cinema that's in in whippy um it has this really gray ugly kind of paint job that almost makes it look weirdly like um a russian furniture store or something like that it's so it's so postmodern blocky that it just it looks kind of ugly it's a it's and it's a very big theater like the from the outside yeah
0: it was a tw- AMC 24 when they first built it. Cause I rem- remember when that Plaza was first built way, way long ago now, but um, yeah, I- I'm with you and I don't like some of the practices that have been rumored of like, you know, uh, major theater chains blocking out independent cinemas from playing certain movies or drive-in theaters. Like I know a couple of drive-in theaters that have, openly talked about how they had to go under the one in Midland where I just was, there's a drive-in that's just empty and they closed down there. And they said, the reason they shut down is because they couldn't play first run movies because the galaxy cinemas in Midland was too close and they had to play second run movies all the time. And they said like, that's really tough when, you know, the, the only movies you can play are movies that are, two to three months old, right? That people either already went to go see in, in theaters. And we saw a resurgence of drive-ins and independent cinema, I think during, you know, when things reopened because those restrictions were kind of lifted a bit where, you know, it was kind of a free for all of like either drive-ins were the only option so they could play, you know, a brand new movie on a Friday night or independent cinemas i know now they're playing things like annette and and and, and certain you know art house yeah, stuff could you imagine and, and watching annette on a drive-in screen <laughs> no i mean the, the independent cinemas like the paradise theater oh, and, right, and right, stuff right, in right. toronto that would be amazing and, though if, stuff if, like, like that. i mean and, we
1: didn't like annette but it would be kind of funny yeah. it's like we're going to the drive-in to see annette
0: <laughs> yeah yeah but then that's the kind of stuff that i hope goes away and in, in what you're talking about even though they have a monopoly like i hope distributors well, even with are TIFF, more right
1: like that was no. like the big thing with with moonlight where moonlight was basically ready to going to play exclusively exclusively at, at exclusively lightbox, at lightbox and then it became the film that it was destined to become and and Cineplex is like wait a second uh we want to play this first and at varsity they, yeah yeah varsity and then they had already had the the option to play it <clears throat> but they passed on it because they just looked at it as a a, a little art house film that yeah, wouldn't I'm, make any money
0: i'm not sure what happened there that was weird but um yeah i've heard n- many stories of theaters, there's been petitions and things like that of, you know, independent cinemas being like, can we please get rid of this restrictions thing? Like if you're, if you're too close to a Cineplex theater or a landmark cinema, even, um, or a major cinema chain, like it can block those theaters from playing first run movies because those big multiplexes get the exclusive rights to the the stuff. And I'm not saying that, you know, all of these cinemas want to play, you know, fucking Avengers or anything, but like to give them the option to program the movies that, you know, like I've always said, it's all, uh, you know, it's balance of showing, you know, interesting, you know, smaller movies, indie stuff, art house stuff, but you also sometimes need to play, you know the popular thing to make some fucking money so you can do those other things sure. and you like, get the
1: art house filmmaker that is making the big yeah studio blockbuster thing like yeah more, like coming up with eternals right yeah like, it is mind-boggling to me that i mean if if tiff doesn't want to play it they don't want to play it but that feels like a film that tiff should have every right to play if it wants to having At supported Chloe box, Zhao's yeah. career up until this point, but they you know, might
0: not be able to because Scotiabank is like down the
1: street, right? Which sucks yeah. because again, yeah. like I, I, I don't believe in the monopoly aspect of, of anything. No, I, I, and I competition think will
0: make everyone better. Ultimately, yeah. like competition has always shown that like, if you're fighting against like Cineplex might not view landmark as a threat because landmark only has, a couple cinemas here uh, in Ontario and yeah, Cineplex is across the country and they probably compete with them a little bit more out West and and, and stuff like that. But, um, but I mean, and shout out to landmark again, not perfect, but I mean, they've, they even in all their marketing materials has, have said like, you know, we really care about this shit and we want to make sure that the experience is solid. And they, you know, uh, again, we've had our issues with different things and we talked about it, but um, I I think it's kind of missing the mark on both of these subscription services, and like, and I say that by saying, yeah, you should
1: probably subscribe to it, but I still I mean, think it's that, the only options that you have right yeah. now in terms of a subscription service. So, you know, if if you are you know a a regular, those are what are there, and so you're going to subscribe to it until either something better comes along or you just realize that maybe it's not working out for you the way that you had hoped for, and then you just cancel it anyways. So yeah, like, I mean, you're going to recommend it based on one location and, and what theaters are around you. And again, most likely you're going to go with the Cineplex subscription because Cineplex is a more dominant, um, exhibitor and more sort of available within, for you and stuff yeah and yeah. within the greater gta so you, you know like that like i i get why people will ultimately subscribe to it and think that okay well maybe they are getting a, a good deal out of it but ultimately again like i just feel that they could do better and i'm, I'm saying yeah. both of them could
0: you know i totally agree and um, but i also
1: feel cineplex could do much better when it comes to their presentation. I think that is something that also, we keep talking about on that. this show. That they need to work on it.
0: I totally agree. Um, getting rid of ma- masking and, um, you know, and so many issues with projection and sound we've had over the years that um, it's become a frustrating. And I think that's again, there's so it's such a huge conversation that we have time and time again that we can kind of we won't go into here because we're at two two hours and 40 minutes but maybe on the 100th episode again because it seems to be a topic that we talk about all the time but like that is the stuff um that will keep people coming back and keep uh you know and if you don't you know have that experience then you're seeing these drop-offs you're seeing people opt for streaming you're seeing people you know go well my my setup at home and this is a conversation tim and i had when he was on the episode and again if you want to not just hear eric and i talk about it but like um tim put it perfectly of saying like you know for most people the setups you can get at home are almost you know good enough now like even if you have like a you know it's it's very easy to get a not easy but like if you are you know middle class or anything like that like you can get a 65 inch tv and you know a sound bar or sound setup that is pretty solid that you could be convinced of go why why do i need to go to the theater if i have this option here and i'm not bothered by people on their phone or you know xyz and maybe we're in our bubble and people don't care about masking and people don't notice all this shit that I don't even realize like the theatrical
1: release window has changed so much as well. Because that's the other thing where it's like, you know, there are some movies that are just like, okay, like I get why someone would want to see a Marvel movie on the big screen, but thinking about, you know, a three week or a month, you know, theatrical window to then VOD, it's almost like oh, I can just wait and watch it at home and have no interruptions and watch it the way I want to watch it and and be in complete control of that and that long term investment of having a sixty five inch TV with a, a great sound bar or or sound system, you know, might be something to kind of basically um, compete against. You know these subscription services for the theatrical experience, which is unfortunate because again, there are some movies that you watch in the theater, and it's just you know if if you have, you know, I, I again I keep thinking of the Green Knight more recently and watching that in at the light box and how amazing an experience that was because it it has amazing sound, uh, great picture quality, proper masking, and it, that was truly you know a reminder of what it was like to return to the movies and why going to the movies is such a big deal for us you know mm. yeah no i totally agree um okay that wraps
0: the 99th draft of the untitled movie podcast everything will change with episode 100 not really but
1: um i don't we, even know we we do what have we're some- doing.
0: I don't think we're even doing anything super special. Eric put out a question and some people sent in some ideas, but it'll be like, it'll be a, it's a big, it's a big deal. I don't know if we have anything necessarily like, special planned but um you know we have some surprises that will probably be teasing out things you know later this week and um you might see a new fresh look you might see some other things like um we're, we're toying with some ideas and and i want to mess around with some stuff so um i think it's a huge milestone we hit 250 reviews recently or episodes of reviews it's more movies than that because you know the tiff you know bundled some together and and stuff like that but 250 plus episodes of reviews 100 episodes of uh this show um I'm I'm so happy and and proud that it'll be our 3rd anniversary too next week as the 100th episode um goes out so um stay tuned for some stuff there Um, I think I'll start putting out some stuff later this week. So everything is, you know, up and ready for the hundredth episode I'm, I'm really, I keep looking at the, the stuff that I made for the hundredth episode and for moving forward. And, um, I think it looks really cool. So I think you guys should dig it. Um, we'll have more reviews for you guys later this week. Uh, we're going to see don't breathe. So we'll have a review for that. Um, We also have a bunch more stuff on the reviews channel that we would love for you guys to go check out as I pull up what our recent reviews are. Um, We have a spoiler free review of episodes one through three of what if, so. Episode 2 premieres this Wednesday, so if you want a little sneak peek of what we thought of episodes 2 and 3, go check that out. Uh, We also have a review of Vivo, Annette, Free Guy, which just uh, dropped on Friday, uh, The Suicide Squad, The Green Knight, Jungle Cruise, Stillwater, uh, Zola, G.I. Joe Georgians, and more. Uh, on this channel, you can check out our most recent drafts where I talk about going bowling on the 98th draft. Eric uh, talks about his migraine. We talked about midnight and madness and sunburns. I got a little sunburn over the my holiday. Uh, the episode with Tim, the 97th draft, is really great. So go check that out as well. Uh, conversations with um, Phantom City Creative, uh, talking about Kind of Funny with Joey Noel and Nick Scarpino, uh, things like that. So go check out those channels as well. Uh, Over on Letterboxd at Untitled Podcast, Uh, go uh, follow us over there where we post uh, all of our links to our reviews, all of our ratings, uh, our lists of different um, franchises, uh, our links to our personal profiles, our social handles, which are Untitled underscore cast everywhere else. So that's our one-stop shop of everything Untitled. So stay tuned again for... 100th episode next week i'm very very excited uh, about that um and do i need to plug anything else i think i plugged everything um as you always my name you did it. Uh, still the number one movie of the year. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, as always, my name is Matt Roerbeck. You can find more of my work around the internet, but mostly at UntitledMoviePodcast.com.
1: And you can follow me on all those social medias at Matt Rohrbeck. And I'm Eric Marchand. You can find more of my video reviews at RogerStv.com, Scene, and on the social medias at EM6211. Until next time. Christmas in August, everybody. Christmas in
0: August. I forgot. It's been so long. (laughs) I forgot you did that. Okay. Bye everybody.